Real Talkers, a good morning to you at 8.30 Mountain Time, 10.30 Eastern on this beautiful February 10th morning. We thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a wide array of uh, subject matter today. We're going to be getting into a few things in just a moment. We'll be joined by the United Conservative Party MLA out of Cypress Medicine Hat. He's signed his name, has Drew Barnes, to the End the Lockdowns Caucus and uh, we're going to be talking to him about exactly why he's there, why he's signing up for that, and what it means. Uh, the opposition leader, Rachel Notley, telling Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney that Mr. Barnes' involvement, uh, along with his colleague Angela Pitt out of Airdrie, demonstrates that the government has lost control of its MLAs. We'll ask Drew Barnes about that in just a moment. Wanted to let you know what else is coming up on the show today in about a half hour's time. We're going to be checking in with Mark Doran and Reagan Boychuk. Now, you're going, Mark, is that the same Mark? You're probably wondering as an engaged real talker. Is is that the same Mark that submitted a question for Edmonton's mayor, Don Iveson, yesterday about Orphan Wells that set off a, a, a great diversion from the regular and, and, and plotted out in predictable subject matter and got us talking about why urban mayors would be so concerned about Alberta's Orphan well deficit, well engaged viewer. It is that same Mark Doran. He's uh, vice president of the Polluter Pay Federation. Uh, that's where Reagan, I believe, is the director. And we're going to talk to the two of them about one of the biggest problems in my mind facing Alberta, facing Western Canada when it comes to cleanup, when it comes to remediation of our oil and gas exploration, our harvesting, if you will, of our natural resources. That's coming up in about a half an hour. A remarkable development last night in Fort McMurray, Wood Buffalo. If, if, if you're tuning in from other parts of Canada, <clears throat> if you're listening into this, you obviously have heard of Fort McMurray as the oil and gas capital, uh, the, the oil sands capital, certainly, uh, and, and an energy capital nationally or even internationally speaking. It's typically been conservative country. But their local government, their municipal government, including Mayor Don Scott, who's been on this show a couple of times already, and he's coming back this morning, have been speaking out loudly, uh, critical of the provincial government here, most especially in the context, or at least most recently, in the context of changes to 911 dispatch. Well, last night, a unanimous decision by Fort McMurray's uh, city council, the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo, technically speaking, their city council voting unanimously to refuse to divert or dispatch 911 calls to the central dispatch. In other words, they're saying the provincial government's plan to take over 911, it's not working for us. It's already causing problems, so we'll handle it ourselves. Thank you very much. It's a big step. It could have pretty serious consequences with regards to how the province of Alberta might respond to this. We're going to talk to Fort McMurray's mayor and their fire chief, Jody Butts, coming up in about an hour from now. And then in the 10 o'clock hour, by popular demand, we floated the ideas uh, around talking about EVs, about electric vehicles. I mean, how soon will they be? a regular site on our streets. How often uh, will you see an electric vehicle? I mean, as, as opposed to what it might be like now where you see one, you know, you, you maybe see one of those Teslas and they, they catch your attention or, or maybe you saw one of those, the, the sexy BMWs. I think it's the I eight out there that everybody got excited about, or maybe you see the, the, the leaf or the volt or the odd car out there. And, and it's a bit of a novelty right now. But automakers, big automakers have announced that within the next 10 to 15 years, they will be phasing out 
your standard combustion engines and replacing them with EVs in the lineup that they roll out to the public. We're going to check in with Nino Dakara. Uh, Nino is is widely recognized as the definitive voice when it comes to EVs in Canada. He's the publisher of Electric Autonomy Canada, and he'll be joining us right around noon Eastern at 10 o'clock Mountain Time to get into talk on EVs. We also have a stack of your emails that we promise to get through today. We're going to show you some videos that are going to make your day. I guarantee it. I'm not a cat. That video is coming up. Plus, we're going to talk about some of the changes, the dramatic changes to the media landscape in Canada, including uh, yesterday some pretty serious developments, including a couple radio stations just going off the air the entire format just tossed including am 1040 in vancouver which is a huge deal uh so we're going to talk about that a little bit today before we get started with mla drew barnes let me remind you that our title sponsor with this show each and every morning is bitcoin well and we're proud to partner with them uh they're a locally owned grassroots cryptocurrency company that offers ATM bitcoins across the country right now. They're getting set to go public this year. It's going to be a big year for Bitcoin. Well, probably based out of Edmonton, but of course, providing service across Canada. If you're taking a look at what's going on with crypto right now, and if you want to make sense of it, if you want to try to figure out if this might be a good fit for you, we encourage you to have a chat with them. It's what they do. They make it simple. They make it accessible. They take all the, the guesswork out of it at Bitcoin. Well, you can find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, if you check out libertycoalitioncanada.com, you're going to see a list of elected officials that are standing up against the way that governments at the provincial and federal level have been managing the COVID-19 pandemic. It includes Randy Hillier, a well-known and controversial MPP, an independent representative out of Ontario. Of course, Maxime Bernier, a former member of parliament, the national leader of the People's Party of Canada. Uh, member of Parliament Derek Sloan, who was just recently booted out of the Conservative Party of Canada's caucus by leader Aaron O'Toole. Steve Van Leeuwen, who's known uh, well, I think, uh, the deputy mayor out of Wellington, Ontario. And then a couple of names that will be familiar to Albertans. Angela Pitt, the elected MLA out of Airdrie East. And Drew Barnes, the elected MLA out of Cypress Medicine Hat, Alberta. Uh, MLA Barnes joining us this morning. Welcome back to Real Talk. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Ryan. Good morning. So I saw a tweet from Alberta's former premier, the leader of the official opposition, Rachel Notley, who said last night, the fact that you and Ms. Pitt are, are even on this coalition shows that Jason Kenney's lost control of his government. Has he? No, I, I think what it shows is that the premier Kenny is willing to allow discussion, openness and the opportunity for for the MLAs that represent a large part of Alberta to say what we're hearing, to, to try to improve public health, to try to improve the economy. You know, Ryan, you know, the importance of this group is it's about having an open, honest public debate about all governments' response to the pandemic. Um, You know, we're in the 12th month of this now. Uh, We're in a situation, Ryan, where the mental health crisis in Cypress Medicine had, and I'm sure around Alberta, is, is at least as big as the COVID crisis. And it's important. That, that we have a means and a mechanism to take care of all Albertans. And, uh, you know, so I'm glad that uh, at this point in time, I, 
I have the ability to, to speak up and say what I'm hearing. I'm, I'm glad that uh, my colleague Angela Pitt has done the same thing. Yeah, I'll note some, some other names that, that Albertans will recognize. Uh, Amber Harris, uh, an outspoken uh, counselor in Gibbons, Alberta. Councillor Harris and I have had some great conversations over the years. Uh, I see that Derek Fildebrandt is, is also involved here in this initiative. Um, and and uh, Albertans will also, of course, recognize the name Paul Hinman, a former MLA out of, out of Calgary, the interim leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party of Alberta. Uh, we'll talk to you about that movement in, in just a sec, Drew, by the way, as well. What, what does it look like to you, honest, open, public debate about this? What would you like to see debated that, in your estimation, hasn't been to this point? Okay, well, let's start with uh, long-term care. Sad, really, really unfortunate that the effects of this on, on, on our seniors that built this province in long-term care. Um but I let's take a look at what Florida did with a five-minute rapid blood test. Um, a five-minute bl- rapid blood test where all the long-term healthcare workers that were going into work took this test. And of course, if you were positive, you didn't go in. Uh, and, and those are the kind of things that, that can lead to some protection. So let's talk first and foremost about protecting those that are vulnerable. Secondly, Ryan, as I was just alluding to, in, in, in Medicine Hat in Cyprus, the mental health crisis is extreme. Uh, the, the self-harm, the addictions, um, the economic woes, um, th- these things need to become part of the discussion as well. Um, you, you know, you, you probably recall that uh, public health officer or, or public person, Dave Redman, in 2014, did uh, a, a, a pandemic response with, with four real parts to it, including keeping the economy going, keeping our societal impacts low, but also including, uh, you know, stopping the spread and, and the effects of the virus. And, and of course, Mr. Redmond's been out that, that large parts of this plan, if any, have not been followed. So one of the things to discuss is why, is there a better way to do these things? And, and, and I'm looking forward to that discussion. Uh, I mean, uh, everybody's heart's in the same place. Let's let's protect Albertans. Let's protect the vulnerable. And, uh, you know, let's get this as, as right as we can. So, Drew, I, I'm, no, I'm not going to uh, disagree with you at all that I think that, that substance use has been a real issue through this pandemic. I'll tell you, for my own personal well-being, we signed up for dry January and then extended that into dry February because... It's all too easy to to have a martini in the middle of the afternoon on on Wednesday. And I acknowledge that there are mental health implications to this, but I but I can't for the life of me see how ending the lockdown, encouraging people to flood back into churches. That's a big part of this, too, is going to do anything to to alleviate mental health concerns. If anything, all I see it doing is is exacerbating the strains on our healthcare system and and, and perhaps making worse uh, mental health uh, issues, including for frontline healthcare workers. I mean, how, how does opening everything up address mental health issues if it makes public health issues way worse? Well, I think to a, to a big degree, it won't do that, Ryan. Everywhere I go in Medicine Hat, people are totally respectful. As we enter the 12th month of this lockdown, everyone's wearing a mask, everyone's social distancing everyone's washing their hands 10 or 20 times a day. So, so the respect level is there, but it, people are really questioning the fairness and the effectiveness. Again, you can go to the big box stores, you can go to, go to the malls and, and there's lots of people, but a lot of small business people aren't allowed enough capacity to 
even pay one or two employees to pay the utility bills, to pay the rent, to pay the taxes. Some of those costs haven't gone down at all. So I think, again, the beauty of, of this um, this group is that, that we can look at all these things. Um, you know, it, um, gyms are, are a perfect example. Uh, the number of young, young people I know that, you know, aren't able to go back to the gym you know, just starting to now, as long as they have a trainer, uh, you know, those are the kind of things that, that public health and mental health are so closely connected that, uh, you know, again, I hope that uh, a good, honest public debate, as transparent as possible, will uh, will lead to the a recognition of uh, making sure that all Albertans have an opportunity to get through this pandemic as best as possible. And Drew, as far as I can tell, and I may have missed a name on the list, but as far as I can tell, you and your colleague, Angela Pitt, are the only members of a governing party uh, to sign on to this caucus, unless perhaps a name has been added since I last checked. But but you're essentially advising or encouraging your fellow Albertans to defy health orders that have been implemented by your government. How's this going to go over at the next caucus meeting? <laughs> well, I, I expect it to go over well. I mean, I... I'm not a part of cabinet. I'm a government backbencher. It's my job as well to hold the government accountable. But again, we're, we're not saying defy government orders. We're saying let's have an open public debate. Let's let's take the issues to Premier Kennedy. Let's take the issues to Prime Minister Trudeau and, and let's make them aware of, of different ways to do things. Let's make them fully aware of, of the full suffering. You know, of course, we saw how terribly uh, Trudeau and Canada have handled the, the vaccine situation. Um, and no doubt that, uh, you know, 12 months into it, I mean, that's that just shouldn't happen. And uh, and hopefully, you know, if we're going to be doing this again, if we're going to be doing this for a long time, I think, Ryan, it's smart to draw on all 4.1 million Albertans and let's get the best ideas out there. And, and, and I, I believe that... Uh, decision makers will listen yeah i you know i i I, you know people will rail against governments or politicians that don't do proper public consultation i also also think in the course of a pandemic that it's more what the experts and public health officials have to say than what members of the public have to say i i don't know that i I mean you know i I find myself twisted up here a little bit drew because uh, like you i hear from a ton of business owners that that are absolutely screwed right now that are really experiencing significant hardship and and they would like to have the ear of government to be able to talk about steps that they can take to open up safely or to provide service in a way that that reflects some of the the health challenges that we're facing right now but i don't know that open honest public debate with four million people is going to get us to where we need to get with intuitive evidence-based health policy do you really believe that yeah, I, I do. I, I'm not scared of openness and transparency. Uh, again, I'm one of 87 people fortunate to be paid to speak on Albertans' behalf. We're due back in the legislature February 25th. So that's the opportunity for, for me with, with media like you present and, and, and colleagues from both sides of the floor to discuss these things. Absolutely. And Ryan, we've seen uh, we've seen a lot of experts come out with different uh, different viewpoints on this. And and many, many Albertans that care deeply about each other, that care deeply about our seniors and, and, and our, our vulnerable, want to do the best decisions. And uh, I, I believe that a little public discourse, a little transparency will go a long way to make that happen. Uh, you know, again, if, if, if this, now that we're into the 12 month, if this continues, you know, longer, or if we have to do this again in, in another year, 
let's do everything we can to ensure that we protect the health, the economy, and the families and communities of, of as many Albertans as possible. You know what, Drew? That's what I worry about uh, because I can't wait to get back to hockey games with 18,000 people and I can't wait to be back to, you know, you know, hanging out on the golf course with friends and being in packed shopping malls and, and all that kind of stuff, being on the beach with thousands of people. Of course, everybody wants that. But, but I think what we've seen from around the world is that the less seriously that people take lockdowns, uh, the more adamant that people are about personal freedoms and gathering in, in church services and packing shopping malls and grocery stores, the longer these issues are prolonged. I mean, we talked to Dr. Stephen Duckett in Australia. He told us the night before he talked to us, he had 15 people over for salmon because they meaningfully locked down for three weeks. I mean, you're essentially encouraging people to do the exact opposite. Realistically, this could be an issue for us for the next couple of years if we don't lock it down. That's what the experts are saying. Yeah, well, again, I everywhere I go in Alberta, I see respect. I see people caring and protecting each other. And I also will say that, you know, let's get this information out there so people know what works and what isn't working. And, and the fatigue 12 months into this, uh, you know, I 18,000 people at a hockey game. Ryan, one of the real sad things here is, is we've had, had a group of young men, you know, hockey players that, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of self-harm. It's, it's so sad. But our medicine hat taggers are a huge part of this community. And, um, you know, we we have an arena that, that seats, you know, about 6,000 people that, you know, why why couldn't we have 1,000 or 1,500 in there or something like that? And, uh, you know, we, 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 you know, these are the things that we should talk about. It, and experts should should present their ideas. And, Drew, you keep, and, and, you keep referencing experts. Who do you mean? Like, who? what's an expert that you can cite uh, whose, whose evidence or presentation, whose theory would fly in the face of the way that governments have been managing this pandemic? Well, Ryan, thank you for that. I want to go right back to David Redmond, 2014. He had a pandemic plan paid for us by the taxpayers, all set, ready to go. And I, and the four elements of that were to stop the spread of the virus. Secondly, to continue um, societal norms as best as possible with strong public uh, programs. Thirdly, protect the, the economy, protect people's right to, to earn a living. And then fourth, a recovery as fast as possible. Uh, Mr. Redmond's been out saying that uh, all governments seem to get in the habit of locking down and, and locking down totally and not uh, looking at those other three elements. Uh, and again, uh, when we have a mental health crisis down here as big as the COVID crisis, I think uh, what what uh, Mr. Redmond's saying has has some value and we have to look at that. Yeah, I want to be I want to be careful in 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 what I say here because I don't want to come across as though I'm discounting mental health challenges because they are very real and we know that they can have very serious even deadly consequences. I acknowledge that we talk about mental health all the time, but but your assertion that the mental health crisis is as serious as the COVID crisis, I just don't see evidence of it. Drew, I mean, you know, the, the website itself, people are talking about this end the lockdown national caucus. Drew Barnes, our guest, if you're just tuning in, you know, says that lockdowns, we now know lockdowns cause more harm than the virus. I mean, that's just not true, right? More than 1,700 Albertans are dead. More than, more than 2.3 million people around the world are dead, not because of lockdown, but because of COVID-19. Well, it's one of the reasons, Ryan, I've been arguing strenuously and publicly for a regional approach to the to the COVID government lockdown. Uh, I think in, in Cyprus Medicine Hat, 
And if we count uh, 40 mile county right next door, so we got an area about 300 miles by 400 miles, we have 13 active COVID cases. Um, I think, and, and unfortunately, I think we're at 14 deaths right now. But Ryan, one of the sad truths is, I think we're maybe at 20 suicides. Uh, and, and, and it's so hard to uh, understand, but, but my heart goes out so much. And, and what the re- let, let's have a discussion about the re- what the relation is. Let's, let's have a discussion about, about maybe peop- giving people more of an opportunity to, uh, to engage in a full economy. One of the highlights of the last 11 months to me was when Premier Kenny came out and apologized about three months ago for saying at the start that we had it wrong. You recall that they used essential businesses can open, non-essentials can't. And he said, came back out later and said, it should have been safe versus non-safe. So there was a learning opportunity. There was a a chance that I I think I've now seen some changes of the direction in some of these three-step COVID reopenings that are going on right now. So, So what this group is about, what I'm about, is let's put these things out there in a full transparent way so we can get it from this day forward as good as possible. And back to Mr. Redmond's uh, four areas of focus. Um, Yes, stop the virus. Yes, protect the vulnerable. Uh, Thirdly, uh, keep the economy open in as much as possible. Keep those effects and then a strong economic recovery. Yeah, and and Drew, I'll I'll be honest, I have to be upfront with you. I'm not super familiar with with Redmond's piece. I mean, it's seven years old. It obviously was not written to reflect COVID. If step number one is to stop the virus, how can we be calling to end the lockdown? It's it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Step number one, stop the virus. We know these 13 cases that you talk about in the in the community close to you. I mean, you have one wedding or one funeral or, or, or one mass or whatever you have, Drew. You know, 13 cases can be 150 cases in a day. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, again, we just haven't seen those numbers bear out down here. Uh, we just we just it just hasn't happened again. It's because people have been respectful. Um, and again, I, I just would would absolutely believe that that respect from Albertans would continue. And this group is about openness and, and transparency. And it's about looking at the effects of the lockdown. And uh, Ryan, I think we have to have this conversation uh, for our future. So what would you like? Where would you like to see the conversation pointed? Because nobody's going to disagree with you, Drew, that we expect openness and transparency as as part of the political process we don't see it as often as we'd like quite frankly you want to have honest debate i'm assuming you're going to tell us you'd you'd want to have it based in evidence so what types of things are we talking about with regards to openness and transparency where would you like to focus that conversation because we know it's got to be focused yeah well i i there's i guess lots of different areas we, we we could focus it um i would say that one of one of the places to start would be with the, the other effects of the lockdown. Um, you know, what has it been for, for let's look at the numbers of, of, of bankruptcies. Let's look at the numbers of effects for that. Let's, let, let's have maybe a, a full day debate uh, in the legislature where we have an opportunity to talk about these things. Let, let's give people the opportunity to, to say what they're thinking and, and, and to be involved in their communities. Um, you know, we, we've seen, uh, you know, again, the city of Medicine Hat come out, uh, you, you know, with uh, at different times with with different ways to protect the citizens, but some concerns about keep, keeping things open. I mean, I I'm encouraging all all Albertans to get involved. And uh, 
there's a lot of good ways to do it. Yeah, I I'm just not convinced. I, I obviously and and I've I've acknowledged this and and you or I on this, are on the same page on one thing, Drew, and that is that it's a it's 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 horrific what's happened to entrepreneurs, what's happened to a lot of business owners, what's happened to 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 everyday workers uh, that have seen their employment drop off. Obviously, we've seen some support from different levels of government, most notably the federal government, to to allow people to be able to pay their mortgages and, and keep their lights on. But there's no doubt it's been devastating. I'm just not convinced. I mean, you know, I keep returning to this because it's been in the news with the Grace Life Church just west of Edmonton, the pastor being arrested. I'm sure you heard this week after they continued to gather. Nobody's wearing masks in there, by the way. There's hundreds of people. They're not wearing masks. Um, you're talking about people being respectful in Cypress Medicine Hat. I'm sure that there are fab. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact there are wonderful people living down there, and I'm sure they are respecting one another. And I'm sure that some of them are wearing masks. But you and I know you know, 100% Drew, that the majority of people that are going to sign up to support and end the lockdown caucus like this or to support the movement are not the type of people that are going to buy into wearing masks. You and I know that perfectly well. Um, I suspect that this could create a huge problem were it to gain traction. I mean, people are calling it right now. People are texting me calling it dangerous. The messaging is dangerous. What would you say to them? Uh, I would say all voices need to be heard. And I'd say the fatigue that is that is going into the 12th month of, of this lockdown is is extreme you know ryan who knows when when families when people hit hit the tipping point and and uh you know decide that they're not going to participate in, in 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 whatever the safety procedures are so 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 let's give everyone a chance to get as much transparent and and, and honest information out there as possible let's uh let, let's give people like me the chance to to talk about it and, and to hear about it like you. And let's make sure that, that Albertans are as fully engaged as, engaged as possible so we can get through this together. When you talk about honesty and transparency, do you are you specifically limiting this to conversation about the economy? In other words, do you believe that that Albertans or that Canadians are, are unaware to a certain degree of the economic impact this is having and, and the mental health impacts subsequent to that? Or yeah. do you question some of the science? I mean, are you questioning what you're hearing from Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Dr. Teresa Tam? When you're talking about honesty, transparency, openness, and public discussion, are you including the science on this? Well, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just looking at the effects of the lockdown. I'm looking at the fact that, that so many of my constituents are headed into the, the 12th month of this. I'm looking at the fact that so many of them are are having a hard time getting through this, whether it's economically uh, or just with their family. And I think we need to we need to have the opportunity to to discuss the effects of the lockdown. Let's leave the science to the scientists, but uh, let's let's be aware that again, back to to Mr. Redmond's plan of 2014, the getting out of this strong, the getting through this with the economy and, and mental and physical health in mind is a, is a huge part of this. And again, I, I you know, let's just look at how, how uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has made such a mess of the vaccines. Let's look at how the, the Canadian system wasn't able to manufacture uh, and, and, and we were now behind Europe and other areas. I mean, these are the things that, that Ryan, we've got to start to talk about today because if this goes on, you know, for considerably longer, if, if we're dealing with another virus in six months or a year, let's do everything we can now to, to, to make Alberta stronger and to get through this better. Yeah, I do share your fear that we'll continue to deal with this over the next year or even two. 
I share your concern around some of these variants. We talked to Dr. Lenora Saxinger about that. Um, I don't see eye to eye with you on on how we should approach this. I do think we're having conversations about vaccines and procurement and manufacturing. And and of course, you know, uh, it's tough to hit rewind on a lot of the reasons why we're here. And and some of them are maybe unavoidable. Um, I appreciate you appearing on the show, Drew, to talk about this. I think it's important to to seek to understand other people's perspectives. And I commend you for being here before you go. And you and I can talk about this more at length uh, in a future interview. But uh, with regards to the initiative around independence reform, uh, Western alienation is a thing and has been a thing for decades. I think it's safe to say that it's it's flaring up now. It was a theme of the 2019 federal election when you talk about alberta independence i mean i'm just going to say it some people are expecting you to to start your own thing or to go join somebody else or to join a movement based on some of your recent political activity um where's your head at with regards to independence reform and what your political future might look like okay well thank you ryan it's not even my head it's where albertans are at it and my constituents 10 times a day somebody reaches out to me so frustrated with our relationship with Canada. Uh, Many, many of them have have had enough. Uh, Trudeau's response last week to the Keystone being canceled, he barely raised an eyebrow. Uh, Here we are where where Trans Mountain is barely going ahead. And and, and we know that the best way to make the air of the world better and safer is if we could get our products to to India and Asia uh, through Northern Gateway and through the West Coast. And of course, we're dealing with with Trudeau's tanker ban. So so that's looking like an impossibility. So uh, Ryan, I came out last week saying, you know, clearly the frustration that that Albertans are feeling with with inability to move resources because of Ottawa, our inability to get a fair deal with Ottawa, that uh, there has Ottawa has to know there's consequences. So what I called for was when our provincial election is about 26, 27 months from now, on that ballot, I would like to see an independence referendum for two strong reasons. Number one, Ottawa needs to know there'll be consequences if they don't give Alberta resource movement, if they don't give Alberta a fair deal. And secondly, Ryan, and, and, and most importantly, this is Albertans' way to decide if Ottawa moves enough, if Ottawa helps us enough. You know, we can talk forever about the $670 billion that's that's left Alberta for Ottawa since 1960. And as you just said, we can forever look in the, in the rearview mirror, but, but let's not look back. Let's look to the future. And what Albertans are telling me is they want to take risks, they want to push, uh, they want a fair deal with Ottawa. And if not a fair deal, they want to pursue and explore all of our options. Do you think the, the, the plebiscite question do you think do you think the question coming up on the municipal ballot this fall around equalization is essentially what you're calling for the next provincial election i mean it's going to be overwhelmingly in favor of demanding that ottawa take a look at restructuring equalization right i mean that i think that goes without saying that essentially is is what you're calling for because the obvious next step is well I, i mean i think it sort of spells itself out the story writes itself doesn't it well, it, it, it does. Uh, our, our lack of equality with Ottawa, though, is much more than equalization. Uh, it's, it starts with a lack of resource movement. It starts with them 
playing in our environmental field by leveling carbon taxes, tanker bans, uh, Bill C-69, which, which make an emission test on any oil and gas activity, but not a concrete plant in Quebec. Um, so so there, there's many things wrapped up in this. And, and one of the great things about being on the Fair Deal panel a year ago is I heard from hundreds of Albertans uh, and I learned many, many different ways that Alberta is not being treated fairly. Um, Supreme Court judges, our lack of representation there is another one. And of course, most people know about the Senate. And, and Ryan, what I heard is Albertans want to take the risk to push Ottawa for a fair deal. And, and Ottawa has shown that uh, they they will play in Alberta's jur- jurisdiction to uh, to control our future. And uh, so, yeah, so, so I expect equalization referendum to be a strong support that Albertans want a fair deal. And then we need to put Ottawa on notice. It's more than just equalization. It's time to give us resource movement and a fair deal. Drew, I know you have to go. I have to go. So, so I'll make this the last question for now. Uh, how much of uh, some of the things you talked about with regards to, um, you know, the tanker ban, boy, we could talk about that. You, you talk about the carbon tax. You talk about, your, your, you know, implying, obviously, conversation around pipeline infrastructure. Recently, the cancellation of Keystone XL. We can talk about the death of Northern Gateway Energy East. Everybody's familiar with these stories, the politically engaged audience that this is. How much of this do you believe is international? factors market factors global investment factors versus prime minister trudeau's personal drum that he keeps banging Uh, to me i'm more inclined to believe that this is a response to where the global economy and global environmental movements and expectations are going do you agree or disagree i i disagree Totally. Um, the Energy East pipeline was cancelled because the cost of the pipeline was going to be, be set between 17 and 19 billion. It would have made the tolls too onerous. It would have cost too much to ship our, our ethically and environmentally strongly produced oil to to uh, auto, uh, to Quebec and Ontario. Now they're looking at the possible shutdown of Line Five. Uh, you know, no, it, it, and and likewise. Northern Gateway, Eagle Spirit, getting more of our good product to the West Coast so we can get it to India and China. So instead of making fertilizer, methanol and electricity out of coal, they can use a much cleaner natural gas. Those are the things that we care about and the world cares about. And it's time for Ottawa to break these constraints in our confederation and allow Alberta families the opportunity to prosper, grow and share. Drew Barnes is the uh, member of the Legislative Assembly for Cypress Medicine Hat. He's one of the signatories to the End the Lockdowns National Caucus. Drew, sincere thanks for talking to us this morning. Thank you, Ryan. Have a good day. Yeah, you as well. You can let us know what you think about that. Of course, our hashtag, I don't have to tell you, Real Talk RJ. There's there's a lot of commentary on, on the uh, chatterbox right now. Um, I don't even know how to keep up with it. It's it's uh, We're getting a message about every three seconds. If you're watching it, you know that. Uh, you know... Um, what can I say? You know, here, I'll pick one at random. Gordon says, you know, the prime minister didn't make a mess of the vaccines. Uh, he did everything he could without having Canadian resources to manufacture a vaccine. Uh, listener says, uh, I mean, these are, geez, where do I even start? Tiana says, make Alberta stronger again. Uh, what about investing in education and medical services? What about listening to experts outside of politics? What about investing in new sustainable markets? Michelle says, please don't stoke this separatist flame. Um, I won't stoke that fire, but but I'm going to happily confront it and talk about it. We'll have conversations about that. I mean, this is about to really ramp up. Uh, you know that this this equalization question that'll be on the municipal ballot coming up this fall. Uh, we can talk about that for an hour on its own. Number one, it's a way to draw uh, a certain 
you know, a certain voting community to the polls. That's one thing that it's going to accomplish. With regards to what it can actually accomplish on the equalization front, the answer is probably zero. Uh, if you want to tear up the formula that, that was last tweaked by the conservative government, including Jason Kenney as a senior cabinet minister under Prime Minister Stephen Harper, you, you've got to get the provinces on board. And if you think that you're going to get uh, Quebec and the Maritimes and other provinces on board to, to start tearing up the equalization formula, and, and really getting into it, looking out for their best interests, uh, you better believe that there's going to be more to it than simply treating Alberta more fairly, so to speak. Uh, speaking of Alberta, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to a couple of gentlemen who are advocating uh, for, for, for more of a focus. I'm putting this very lightly. I think they're probably going to indict me for this. I'm not probably speaking strongly enough for how strongly they feel about Alberta's abandoned and orphaned wells. That's coming up uh, in just a moment. Right now, we want to remind you that the team at Clean Air Club continues to provide uh, close to immediate delivery. That's what you're telling us on Twitter. It's what you're telling us on our hashtag RealTalkRJ. The minute that people are signing up for new furnace filters at cleanairclub.ca, like the next day, maybe a couple days later, right there on your front doorstep, the exact filters you need, enough to keep on your replacement schedule, so you can save money and you and your family can breathe easy. Clean Air Club knows that one of the things that gets pushed to the back of the to-do list, the very end of the page, is replace your furnace filter because there's so much going on. We're busy. People get it. Check out cleanairclub.ca to do your family a favor. Also wanted to give a big shout out to the team at Local Waste today. Local Waste wants your business and they love talking trash. So they want you to reach out to them. They want to talk to you on the phone. They want you to check out their website at localwaste.ca. For more than a quarter century, they've been going up against the big multinationals. They're a locally owned company employing local people and they operate on a first-name basis. So get in touch with Chris and Lauren today, whether it's a small family operation or a huge hotel that you're running. They want to handle your waste management, including garbage and recycling. Check them out today at Local Waste. Sam, let's take a quick look at what's making news today. Well, as mentioned, uh, massive layoffs across Canada, including with media giant Bell, over the past couple of days, uh, prominently with TSN, you saw that Dan O'Toole was let go. Uh, Alberta girl Natasha Staniszewski, among those that was sent packing after a great career there at TSN. Well, yesterday they took 1040 off the air in Vancouver. They took the format off the air, that is, formerly the rights holder of the Vancouver Canucks, uh, an icon in sports broadcasting. They'll now be providing stand-up comedy and it meant that all their staff without warning were laid off and sent packing prompting this tweet from well-known vancouver broadcaster tamara taggart yesterday she says what happened at tsn 1040 has gutted many of us blindsiding employees is abusive and demoralizing it strips you of your confidence and dignity it deeply damages your mental health I mean, the first song they played, she says, after pulling the plug on everybody was good riddance. Can you believe that? They take their sports radio station off the air and the first song they play is good riddance. Uh, meantime, uh, former uh, reality TV star Donald Trump is relatively and, and apparently fuming that his attorney's performance on the opening day of his impeachment trial. Keep in mind, this is his second 
uh, the only uh, former or sitting American president to be impeached twice. As Republican senators uh, questioned the strategy, some calling for another shakeup to his legal team. Trump reportedly watching the proceedings uh, from his Mar-a-Lago club in Palm Beach, Florida, uh, apparently seeing eye to eye with senators who described his lawyer's performance as an unfocused and rambling performance. Of course, all these cases being laid out now in front of the Senate journey, uh, jury, rather, and we will keep you posted on that. And that's what's making news on the international front right now. We're going to take more of a, a closer look at, at some of the news closer to home, including Fort McMurray. In about half an hour, uh, last night, a unanimous vote from Fort McMurray's city council to take over their 911 service. They're taking it back from the province. They will not be patching through calls to the provincial dispatch. We'll ask Fort McMurray's fire chief and Fort McMurray's mayor about the implications of that in just a moment. Well, we were grateful yesterday as we were talking to Edmonton's Mayor Don Iveson. He's the chair of the big city mayor's caucus. Of course, they're talking to the federal government right now uh, through the Federation of Canadian Municipalities leading up to the budget. And the big cities uh, in that caucus, 22 of Canada's most populated cities are talking about ending homelessness. They're talking about transportation, uh, including public transit like LRT expansion in Calgary and Edmonton. Well, of course, we're always keeping an eye on what real talkers have to say uh, and questions that you'd like us to ask our guests. And that's why yesterday I was especially interested in what I saw from listener Mark Doran, who had reached out to me and, and asked me to ask the mayor about Orphan Wells. And I thought, you know, that's kind of an interesting question. Uh, it's an interesting question because I wouldn't think necessarily that an urban mayor would be spending much time dealing with orphan wells well boy was i wrong it turns out mark was bang on and if you saw the interview yesterday with don iveson you were able to see his response to why that's such a priority for him i mean obviously environmental uh, remediation is one of the big tenets of this another one of course is the jobs that come with it including the federal funding uh, mark's going to be joining us here in just a moment are we ready to rock and roll sam thanks mark uh, doran is vice chair of the Polluter Pay Federation. You need just a second here. Oh, I was going to say, we have uh, we, we had Reagan and Mark on the line. We just dropped Mark, actually. No so, problem. Why don't yeah. you just let me know when they're All coming right, up good. here, and in the meantime, I'll get to something else. Um, so we're going to get these two. Uh, Reagan Boychuk is director of the Polluter Pay Federation. It's, it's a newly formed uh, not-for-profit group uh, operating across Canada, and they're essentially uh, asking levels of government to take meaningful action on Alberta's unfunded oil and gas liabilities. Unfunded oil and gas liabilities uh, is, is, is proper speak for we're getting screwed. <laughs> there are a bunch of, of gas wells, well, gas wells that are left abandoned right now, no longer producing, no longer profitable, and they're a real problem environmentally and otherwise. Talk to any farmer, talk to any landowner that has an orphaned well on their property, and they're going to be able to tell you what a big problem this is. And so we're going to tackle this in just a second. Uh, before we get to this, we want to remind you, as we've mentioned, that your input and your feedback is very important to us. So... I wanted to show you a little something. This is a tiny little thing, but we think that it might be a big thing for viewers and for listeners, specifically to our podcast like Megan and Barrett. Uh, Megan wrote in the other day to talk at RyanJesperson.com. She says, you know, I have one suggestion for your podcast, for the Real Talk podcast. Uh, Megan says, I'd love to see timestamps for segments in the podcast description. 
there are so many times I'm not able to commit to the whole episode, but I'd love to listen to a specific guest. And I spend so much time skipping back and forth over a two hour show looking for the beginning of a specific conversation. Megan says, thank you for reading my note and considering Uh, we got an email from Barrett who Barrett says, hey, I'm sorry to be a pain in the ass. He's not. He says, so please take this with a grain of salt. But isn't this the most Canadian email of all time? He says, I don't have a chance, despite my best efforts, I don't have a chance to listen to the entire show every day, but I can give you a half hour. He says, so one of the things that I'd love to see are timestamps included in the podcast notes. There are certain subjects I want to make sure I don't miss out on, and I'd love to know where they are on the podcast. Well, we have tweaked. We have worked. We have troubleshot. And ladies and gentlemen, as of yesterday, I am proud to announce that our podcast descriptions now have specific time codes following suit with our YouTube shows. Of course, if you watch on YouTube, you know, if you scroll to the bottom of the description, you can click on the numbers on the time code. It'll take you right to that interview here. Now, if you're listening to us, you're listening to our podcast and thank you for making us Canada's most listened to daily news podcast. Unbelievable. That's because of you real talkers. You can check out the description and now you'll see time code. So yesterday, for example, Mayor Don Iveson at eight minutes, 15 seconds Audric Moses joined us to tour us through his net zero home at 37 minutes and 52 seconds in Katie Morrison from CPAWS talked about coal at the one one hour 10 minute mark and then Talia Lavin uh, author of culture warlords talked about white supremacy around the world at an hour 38 minutes and 53 seconds we've got it nailed down for you we know that your time is valuable and we appreciate every single minute that you spend listening to our podcast so thank you to listeners and viewers like Megan and Barrett who have told us what they'd like to see to have the show be that much better. Sam, we ready to rock with our guests here? Not quite. Okay. Looks like I've been I've been chatting with Reagan. It sounds like Mark's lost his internet connection. Okay. So he's like, I'll uh, tell yeah, you the what. Internet is against us. I'll tell today. you what. We'll give Mark another five minutes. Uh, if not, I can just go ahead with Reagan. Sure, and in the great. meantime, I'm going to read some emails. So can you just basically, uh, if I'm in the middle of an email, let me wrap it up and then let us know when we're ready to rock. That works for Perfect. me. Perfect. Sam doing a great job behind the scenes, uh, keeping this train on the tracks, so to speak. I set aside some emails that I wanted to get to today. So this is perfect timing. We're so grateful for for the thoughts you put in front of us. We're so grateful for for how you digest what you watch on the show, how, how you chew on it. How, how you how you process it, how you send us your thoughts in some circumstances, uh, hours or days or even weeks after the fact. And we set aside the ones that really resonate with us. Um, this one from Tom. I love that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read this when we kick off our interview because Tom's asking for something in particular and we love to deliver this from Aaron. Aaron wrote into us on Friday after our group chat roundtable. You remember this one with Catherine O'Neill, Harmon Candola and Jarrett Campbell. I told you that, that these are three uh, personal friends of mine. Every day we're in a private group chat. We talk about life and politics and items in the news. Uh, they came on the show to, to talk about a, a whole bunch of different stuff, including Canadian media shakeups. We talked about the farmers protests in India. We talked about Proud Boys being designated as a terrorist organization. And we talked about the next federal election. There had been some speculation the prime minister might call an election this spring. And I asked our panelists to talk about it. Aaron says there were some really disappointing takes on your roundtable, Ryan. I get that they're your personal friends, 
but it was not balanced at all. Aaron says the reason that progressives are over the blackface scandal is because the prime minister acknowledged the hurt that it caused and apologized sincerely. Aaron says progressives recognize that change happens and everything he's done since shows that. And by the way, Aaron O'Toole will not be prime minister ever. That from Aaron. You know, Harmon raised a few eyebrows maybe when he boldly predicted that Aaron O'Toole would be the next prime minister of Canada. I had gone on the record to say I was blown away that Justin Trudeau was able to win the last election despite the blackface scandal. Of course, I did go on to say it's because the conservatives ran such a lousy campaign, but Aaron didn't find balance in that roundtable. I saw it myself, but it's okay that our opinions differ. Allison wrote in and said, uh, Ryan, like you, I, I was surprised by some of your listeners reactions to that meet in the middle interview with Janice Irwin and Vitor Marciano in today's polarized political landscape. I love the idea of finding common ground among those who always seem to disagree. Allison says that that interview, but more importantly, the whole idea, the whole premise of that segment uh, gave me something that I haven't had in a long time when it comes to politics, and that's hope. Allison says, I would ask for you to keep bringing on people who we'd be surprised to find common ground with. Maybe she means like Drew Barnes from half an hour ago. Allison says, as for your conversations with Senator Doug Black and Jay Hill of the Maverick Party, I really enjoyed them. Allison says, hearing only from people who have the same ideas as I do, while obviously validating and interesting, is predictable. And it's not really going to teach us anything new. Allison says, I want to hear from people who have different points of view than mine. It helps me understand where they're coming from, because let's be clear. If they have this perspective, many other Canadians do, too. She says, I love that you continue to ask more questions and, and respectfully keep the conversation going to be rude or to, to stop a conversation just because we disagree or just because listeners are critical of a guest. It doesn't help any of us understand, and it'll actually stop people from opening up to you in the show. So kudos for asking tough questions and keeping people talking. Allison says some of the listener feedback that I've read on your on your live chat is a reflection of where we're at in this polarized environment. We have to hear from people who disagree with us. We have to allow people to talk and yes, even let people make mistakes without crushing them into oblivion, never to hear from them again. How will we ever improve the world we live in if we don't create safe spaces for people to disagree without eviscerating one another? Let's all remember, says Allison, we won't make any progress if we don't seek to understand each other and hopefully sometimes find some common ground. It's the only way we're ever going to make any progress. She says, good to you, uh, Ryan, for you and Sam for pushing against the grain and doing this show. Please keep the real talk going. That from Allison. Allison, we promise that we will. Let's get to this. Uh, I wanted to read this here. This is from Tom as we tee up our interview with our next guest, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's a tough conversation. As a matter of fact, it's going to make a lot of us pretty pissed off, but it's an important conversation to have. Tom writes in from Lethbridge and says, it seems like there's a lot of really exciting things happening, uh, including in Alberta with renewables. In fact, it seems to me like a boom is happening, uh, reminding me of days not seen in Alberta uh, since, the, since the oil boom and before that, the Klondike gold rush. Tom says, I'd love to hear stories about the renewable energy boom. The Alberta solar boom is something that most Albertans haven't even heard about, uh, but it's it's happening, uh, you know, with a startling 5000 megawatts of solar power in the queue to get built. 
He says to give you an idea of the size of this investment. And Tom is right. I mean, Warren Buffett's investing in solar in Alberta in wind. He says even after large projects last year, we currently only have 20 megawatts of solar generation in Alberta. The industry is about to expand by 250 times. The new projects will include the largest ever built in the country. Tom says the other story is the mad rush by every car company on earth to build electric cars. Maybe Real Talk could take some of those new electric cars for a test drive. Can you say road trip? Yes, please. <laughs> right? Oh, that sounds fun. Well, and Sam, I mean, I sent you, we, we've been putting together some some photos from Car and Driver of, of some of the new EVs set to hit the market. Uh, we'll show those off in the 10 o'clock hour, but right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there there's kind of the average ones. I didn't even send you the photo of the Ford F-150 EV because it just looks like the old ones. Uh, I think they lack some. It, it's just a mock-up, but yeah. it seems like they lack imagination. But like that Tesla truck or some of the work that Mercedes is doing. The Tesla truck is like on another planet when it comes to design. The Tesla I mean? truck looks like looks like you could show up at a Mad Max convention and be feel perfectly safe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Especially against all those those dune buggies that they're driving in Mad Max. Like nothing can penetrate you. Well, except yeah. a rock. Just just so nothing can touch you except a rock. Just so we don't. Can can I put you on the spot and can we get a photo of the Tesla truck right now? Uh, to show, or is moments. that is that going to throw you? No, nah, don't worry about it. So let's, right. let's get to this interview. We well, I'll tell you what. In the ten o'clock hour, Sam will show us all the sexy new whips that the car manufacturers are dreaming up. Uh, so Tom says, yeah, maybe maybe a road trip for real talk with the new electric cars. He says, full disclosure, I'm getting a Mustang Mach E delivered in february isn't that is that the one that you wanted that's well that's the one that i'm kind of annoyed about like i because i, I shouldn't say because it's a hatchback yeah why didn't ford just make a, a an electric mustang roadster like the regular mustang that just like that's what i want to drive it sounds like just amazing to whip around in that yeah okay so tom wants to talk evs tom that's coming up um if you're listening right now if you're watching this live it's coming up in about or whether you're listening to the podcast coming up about 40 minutes from right now let's get to our guests they've been patient sam's been great in working with them to get them both online mark doran is vice chair and director reagan boychuk is director of the polluter pay federation it's a new not-for-profit addressing orphaned wells, uh, most specifically in the province of Alberta. Gentlemen, thank you for your diligence in getting on air this morning with us, and welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for having us. I want to give Good morning. Uh, Thanks for having us on, uh, Mark. I want to give both of you an opportunity to 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 just run wild on this because what we're looking for is a really clear understanding of how bad this problem is, why it's such a problem, and what it's going to take to fix it. Mark, you got the ball rolling on this with your question on our live chat yesterday to Edmonton's mayor. Why is this so important to you? This is personal for you, isn't it? Uh, it's it's personal in a way, but I think it's a matter that affects each and every Albertan. Uh, yeah, yes, I asked uh, the question of Mayor Iveson yesterday, and he gave a great answer. But but you know we have some opportunities to create uh, huge job creation in Alberta by cleaning up uh, inactive aged uh, inventory, a large inventory in the province of uh, of uh, aged and infrastructure, oil and gas facilities and wells, and. Uh, you know, the, the, the mayor said that uh, the industry must should bear some of the responsibility. Well, the Polluter Pay Federation is based on the on Alberta law that the, that the industry participant must bear all the all the uh, responsibility to clean up after themselves. That's the contract that they signed. So we have some lax regulatory enforcement in Alberta that's allowed this problem to develop. And, and Reagan will probably be better than me to address the extent of the problem. And so, uh, you know, he did mention that the federal government has put up a billion dollars, but 
But the polluter must pay in Alberta, not the taxpayer and not the landowner. And, and that's why we set up this federation. So, uh, you know, it, it's personal because there, there, there's a lot of public safety risks out there. Uh, my own family's been impacted by that. My clients are impacted by that. Uh, we've got some really lax regulatory enforcement here that's allowed these liabilities to build up. And there's some serious public safety problems and health problems from uh, aged infrastructure and improperly operated and unsafely operated infrastructure across Alberta. Uh, Reagan, is it Reagan or Regan, by the way? Can you remind me? Reagan. Reagan, perfect. I want to make sure I, I nail it. Uh, you're, I mean, you and I have spoken before. I know that you're, you're essentially recognized as one of Alberta's, if not Alberta's definitive expert on unfunded oil and gas liabilities. Can you humor us? Uh, can, can we assume that, that somebody that's hearing about this for the very first time, what is an orphaned well? What causes a well to become orphaned? Why is it such a problem? And how big is the problem in Alberta right now? Sure. I know it's it's confusing even for me. The different terms get used. They mean a lot of different things in different jurisdictions. And orphans get talked about a lot. That's kind of the, the media shorthand. And what an orphan is, is a well. It, might, it may be active. It may be plugged. Uh, but it doesn't have a responsible owner. Um, that's been designated by the government. And so it's a problem because there's no one to send a bill to. There's no one to direct to clean it up. And there's an Orphan Well Association in Alberta for the last 30 years, more or less, to deal with that. Um, and they have, but those have really started to add up in recent years because of the real financial struggles of the industry. Um, a very mature and unprofitable industry is really struggling. Uh, it's adding to the Orphan Wells um, the Orphan Well Association is funded by industry um, insufficiently. Um, contrary to law, it's supposed to be fully funded by industry every year. There should be no orphans left unfunded any year. Um, so that's a big part of the reason because the OWA isn't being properly funded. It's starting to build and build. <clears throat> but again, orphans gets talked about a lot, but it's essentially a rounding error. We're talking about five, ten thousand wells, which sounds like a lot. It's a serious problem that'll cost a lot of money to clean up. That's a very small portion of the industry and how mature it is. Orphans are a rounding error for how many wells there are actually around to clean up in Alberta. There's about 300,000 wells in Alberta outside of the oil sands that haven't been cleaned up um, already to whatever the standard of the day was. So there's about 300,000 wells to be cleaned up at some, at some point. Five out of six of those wells, 250,000, a quarter million of those wells in Alberta are either uh, depleted, inactive, or produce so little they, can, they can't even afford to pay their own bills, let alone fund their own cleanup. And so this is an issue that's grown and grown. It's been simmering for a long time, but it's grown to the point where um, <clears throat> it's a crisis for industry. It's a crisis for the regulators trying to manage this. Uh, and we're at a very late stage in the game uh, and still with no game plan. So, Mark, you're working right now. I mean, you worked in the production side, we should note, of, of the upstream oil and gas industry for more than 40 years. You're now representing landowners who host oil and gas or power transmission lines, which we could talk about for an hour uh, on their land. What are these landowners so concerned about? Why is this such a problem for them? Well, there's there's a number of problems. Uh, it depends on the nature of the operations on the land. Uh, there's public safety issues. Uh, that, that's particularly the case if there's facilities or tanks on the land. 96% of the tank installations in Alberta by the Alberta Energy Regulator's own studies are regulatory non-compliant. It's very unsafe. Uh, there's trespass problems. There's lack, uh, Industry is 
increasingly refusing to pay landowners. Uh, land values are falling as a result of it. So there, there's numerous problems. Okay, so the group, uh, Reagan, Polluter Pay Federation, the name is somewhat self-explanatory, but I don't want to assume anything. I guarantee you that we're going to get a ton of comments because we've had this conversation in the past. People are going to say, hang on a second. I thought that the Alberta Energy Regulator was, was collecting or that somebody was collecting funds here. I thought that we had a nest egg. I thought that the, the oil and gas companies were at least to a certain degree setting themselves up or that the province would ensure that we were set up as citizens, that this wouldn't be a problem. What happened to that money? Where did that money go? And why on earth is the public purse being eyed up to pay for all of this? I mean, the prime minister of Canada has already earmarked about a billion dollars. We know that that's not that that's a drop in the bucket. How did we get to this point where taxpayers are footing the bill? It is a, a result of uh, lax regulatory oversight. This isn't a new problem. Um, it's been a major focus of the regulator for 30 years. Um, they've been perfectly aware of this issue, um, but it is the pushback of industry that has stymied attempts over the last 30 years to address this problem. There's been uh, good faith efforts by the regulator uh, throughout the 90s into the early 2000s that tried to tackle this problem. Uh, they were all thwarted and reversed by the lobbying of industry. Uh, and we had a program 20 years ago um, that could have would have got a really firm grip on this problem. We wouldn't be in this situation today. Um, it lasted two months before industry had it canceled and replaced uh, with the current system um, that has got us into this pickle. And so um, it builds and <clears throat> taxpayers shouldn't be on the hook. Um, polluter pay is um, formed to enforce that. Everyone pays lip service to polluter pay, um, but it's really hard to stand up to the world's richest and most powerful industry and squeeze more money out of them. It's a, it's a real conundrum for the government and regulators to how do you get money out of unprofitable polluters? Well, that's in a real <clears throat> sorry, Reagan. I didn't mean to step on your toes. That's exactly the issue, isn't it? Isn't isn't it that 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 companies uh, and, and there's a lot of slipperiness here and there's a lot of shadiness here. Uh, at least what we're seeing on the surface is that you know companies or wells or assets can be transferred from here to there, and and people, uh, including people with deep pockets, including people with pretty prominent social media. Uh, personalities and platforms <laughs> can simply absolve themselves of environmental and infrastructural responsibilities. I mean, we're seeing that all the time. They're going to say, hey, listen, we'd love to clean up our wells, but we just don't have any money anymore. Well, what's the average person supposed to think about that? Well, it's not an accident. It, it, isn't, it is by design, by conscious design, that the companies left holding these liabilities, these depleted and inactive wells, they don't have the money to clean it up. It's not an accident. That was a conscious strategy on the part of industry. It was recognized by the government, by regulators and industry in 1992, because in 1991, you had to start paying for cleanup. So immediately you sell all your garbage to a sucker. And the next year, the regulator and the government knew that was what was happening. They're selling their stuff to little guys who will never be able to pay for the cleanup when the day comes. Um, and yet 30 years, we've been ineffective in stopping that. It, for 30 years in Alberta, it's been it's been easy to buy a thousand oil and gas wells for a dollar for a buck. You're now an oil man. You're in the business and whatever you can stuff in your pockets before you go broke, you get to keep. Uh, and the cleanup just gets left for the next guy to the next guy. And <clears throat> at the end of the day, it falls to the taxpayer. 
So, Mark, ultimately, I mean, what are you telling these these? The, I know you're working with uh, First Nations, you're working with uh, landowners, farmers, ranchers, etc. I mean, people here in a circumstance like this, I guess, to be honest, I'm even personally feeling some form of helplessness when we're talking about a quarter million wells, when we're talking about liabilities. I mean, Reagan's numbers. Uh, Reagan, correct me if I'm wrong, between 40 and 70 billion dollars is your estimate on what this cleanup cost looks like and an unwillingness or, or an inability, if you believe it, of companies to make good on commitments uh, on the ethical. Impl- we talk about how ethical our oil is. I'm not sure if if that means leaving a quarter million wells el- orphaned across our landscape. What are you telling these landowners? I mean, you put this group together, the two of you and others. Um, and, and so there's some avenue for people to channel their frustration, uh, to channel their efforts, to try to lobby government, to try to lobby industry. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what do you say to people, including me, who are rather distressed about this? Well, what I say is that, you know, it's time to make the polluter pay. We have the best energy laws in the world. Our, our legislators thoughtfully put remedies in place and anticipated all these problems. The problem is we just haven't been following our laws. And so it's about, Polluter Pay Federation is about a return to the rule of law. We more or less have a three branch mandate. The first is the education of our members, which are property owners and taxpayers uh, about the rights of others, the laws of Alberta, et cetera, and how this complex polluter pay system is supposed to work in Alberta. Uh, the, the, the second is a countervailing lobby. We have, the reason we got into this problem is a, is a, a, a huge industry lobby with no pushback, no pushback from landowners or those who ultimately pay the cost of this. So we need a countervailing lobby. And the third is litigation support and funding for litigation, support for litigation. We can fight key cases. Uh, there's lots of precedents. Landowners have all the protection on their side. So really landowners have rights that uh, that need to be observed. Those rights can be relied on to make the polluter or the operator pay. And, and if we don't do that, it falls to the taxpayer. So, so the taxpayer is the sorry, the the landowner is the taxpayer's lifeline. And that's what we have to do. There's plenty of these companies around. We we, We need to start charging the full orphan levy. Landowners need to be compensated properly because the Alberta energy regulator is not enforcing the laws and we need Alberta energy regulator reform. It all starts there. I can't help my clients because the doors are closed to remedies contemplated by law at the Alberta energy regulator. So it's about education. It's about litigation. It's about reform of the Alberta energy regulator. And if we don't get after it soon, it'll break the taxpayers of this province. It's urgent. Yeah. There's no time left. I mean, so, I, I, I don't want to, and I'll hand the microphone back to you guys here in a second. I'm just at a civilian level. I'm just not sure that any Albertan can in good faith, trust anything right now to do with this government's relationship with energy companies, uh, specifically oil and gas, uh, nor the Alberta Energy Regulator. People can Google for themselves and they can read about Lori Pusher, who came from Saskatchewan to serve as the new CEO of the Alberta Energy Regulator under, uh, under a cloud of controversy uh, based on a land deal in Saskatchewan. People can Google that themselves. That's nothing new. I'm not I'm not exposing that myself here. We take a look at what this Alberta government has done. I mean, you talk about the relationship or, you know, respect shown to taxpayers. I don't know that taxpayers would have spent a billion and a half dollars on a pipeline that was about to wither 
out and die. I'm not sure that taxpayers called on the federal government to suspend environmental monitoring and reporting in the oil sands through the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. What I mean, can can you think of any good reason? The question's rhetorical, guys. <laughs> can you think of any good reason why Albertans should have faith right now that this government, this government is going to start uh, you know, uh, adhering to the rule of law and forcing oil and gas providers to pay. And if anything, this government has looked for every excuse to absolve itself of demanding more, uh, let alone the rule of law uh, when it comes to oil and gas providers. I mean, I mean, do we align on this or or, or, or am I just an over caffeinated lefty on this file? No, there's absolutely no reason to expect either the energy regulator or the current government uh, to act in the public interest on these issues. And that is why the Pluter Pays Federation is trying to bring together the resources and funding um, at industry's expense, it happens, um, and the expertise to be able to use the legal remedies that already exist. We don't need to beg politicians for new laws or for favors. We need to enforce the laws on the books. Um, Mark gave one of the reasons for hope for no one needs another big problem like this on their radar. And one of the reasons for hope is that there's things that we can do. There's legal avenues and that's what Pluter Pays Federation um, is gonna pursue. The other reason for hope is the opportunity in this. Um, it's gonna cost a lot of money to clean up 250,000 wells. Unless you own an oil and gas well, uh, it's not a problem for you, it's an opportunity. All of this cleanup spending is economic activity in every corner of the province. There's decades of full employment for the energy sector, regardless of how much oil and gas we produce uh, in the future. There's decades of work today for the same riggers sitting at home unemployed today for the same equipment sitting idle and on sale. There's an enormous opportunity in the cleanup. If we make the people that profited from this mess clean to pay it up, there's jobs for everybody. Every rigger can work where they where they live no relocation no re retraining no capital expenses um solar and all those things are nice and they should be pursued as quickly as they can uh, but we also need to retire uh, what we've already spent the last century uh building up which is a mess um that is going to be left to taxpayers unless we smarten up and act before it's too late yeah but it's not too late in Alberta. Well, I'm happy to hear you say it's not too late because I was literally just going to ask you, yeah, but isn't it too late? Uh, essentially, what we're talking about here is is either a government that's shown no backbone with oil and gas companies, uh, as a matter of fact, has pandered to oil and gas companies to the detriment and the, at the expense of Albertans and at Canadians, for that matter, uh, unless they step up and solve this problem, which I do not think they're capable of then it's really going to come down to the federal government. It's going to come down to Canadian taxpayers. And ironically, it'll be socialism that will save Alberta's environment following the oil and gas industry. That's what's going to save this. I just, you know, the federal government, let me ask you this in closing, fellas, because we've got Fort McMurray's fire chief and mayor ready to go here. Um, and I'll get both of you to comment on this in closing. The federal government stepped up and at least made some money available. I can't believe that a billion dollars sounds like nothing, but in the grand scheme, it feels like nothing. Uh, we, we get emails from people like Susan that say, I'm hearing about this story, but I'm not seeing any action. What's going on with that? Is the Alberta government not taking the money or people not working? Is it happening and we're not aware of it? What's going on? Well, the problem is that the public money coming from taxpayers is replacing the private dollars that were already committed. Mostly the big companies spend a couple hundred million dollars a year uh, cleaning up old sites, plugging wells. It's never 
it's never enough to make the the pile shrink, but they're doing some every year. And there was a, probably a couple hundred million a year. Um, but when there was the uncertainty of a billion dollars being doled out in hundred million dollar batches from Kenny, only a fool would spend their own money when they could get free taxpayer money to do it. So the industry came to a standstill when this was announced. And uh, the way that the Premier Kenny has managed this billion dollars, the way that it's been rolled out, it's gone mostly to big companies who could afford to pay, who are already spending the money, and it simply replaced private dollars with public. And every time that happened, that means nothing extra was getting cleaned up. There wasn't any more jobs being created. Uh, we were just spending, the oil companies were just spending the taxpayer dollars. And so it's, uh, it is true. It's not, it hasn't been a bonanza. It, we don't know much about it yet, but I'd be surprised if there was much more activity than there would have been without this billion dollars, except we're the ones paying instead of the polluter. Yeah. Mark, I want to give last word to you. You're the guy that kickstarted the conversation this week here on Real Talk. Give us something to think about today. And for people that right now are loading up their email and they're ready to get in touch with their elected officials and take action on this, they're going to check out polluterpayfederation.ca. Give us something to think about. The solution lies with uh, with the laws on the books. Uh, you know, the, the provincial government and the Alberta Energy Regulator, they're bound by the same laws as everyone else. That's the solution. So landowners need to learn how to exercise their rights, uh, go through the hearing system, uh, go through the regulatory compliance systems at the Alberta Energy Regulator. If they don't get the, the results there, they can go to the Surface Rights Board and get higher compensation. Higher compensation for landowners is the key. The only thing that these operators respond to is their pocketbook. We have to hit them harder for being on our land. They can become regulatory compliant voluntarily to reduce their operating costs. That's how Alberta's balanced right system is supposed to work. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's just use the systems and the tools that we have. We don't have time to, for new laws. We have great laws. We have to start enforcing them. This can be fixed. People need to be aware of it. Uh, and. If we don't solve this problem, Alberta doesn't have a future. So that, that's we have no choice. If we don't solve this problem, Alberta doesn't have a future. Mark Doran, uh, Reagan Boychuk with the Polluter Pay Federation. You can find them at polluterpayfederation.ca. Gentlemen, thank you for your advocacy and thanks for your availability this morning. I have no doubt we'll speak with you again. Thank you. On our live chat right now, uh, we're going to head to Fort McMurray in just a second. Uh, I want you to know we're not ignoring you, Real Talkers. We're keeping an eye on, on what you have to say about this. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, look at this. Uh, you know, Ken says uh, this is why the, the UCP's decision to simply lower corporate taxes was such a bad idea. Uh, Ken says ideas are what we need. I would have preferred, he says, tax incentives for well cleanup, as an example. That from Ken. By the way, Ken, look what just arrived. In the mail, Kenny, we got your Oilers sweater, and uh, you guys may remember that Ken was our was our top bidder uh, when it came to the Cameron Hughes interview. You remember this? So he, so here's Ken's Oilers sweater, and where's the signature? Cameron signed it in a hilarious place. He signed it. Let me find it because I, I was wondering he didn't sign the crest. He signed it in the pit, Ken. He signed it. He signed it just off the armpit. So when you're partying, when you're out with when you're out with the guys watching the hockey game or whatever, uh, he has "Let's Go Oilers." Cameron Hughes, of course, the great, the great. Uh, and you remember Cameron's book? I'm just reaching off camera here. Give me two seconds. Here's Cameron's book right here, "The King of Cheer," uh, and he's got your 
autographed copy. He just mailed it to us, Ken. So we're going to be getting that to you along with the Jespo mug and everything else. And thanks for your support. We got a beautiful email from the team at Momentum Counseling Services. You remember that Ken's $500 bid. It was our first ever impromptu live auction on the show. And Ken was our high bidder at 500 bucks to, to eliminate some of the financial barriers around mental health resources, including personal counseling. And Ken, we're grateful for that. So I'll send you an email, pal. I just noticed that we obviously didn't plan to do this, uh, but uh, I see you there on the on the live chat. And we really appreciate it. Scott says, uh, let me tell you, he says, Scott says, I can't be alone in this, but but the whole idea of, of bailing out corporations uh, I don't know. He just says, I, I just have a hard time getting on board with that. He says, I have to admit, I'm not a fan of bailing out negligent companies, oil and gas or otherwise. You know, does anybody else feel the same? Uh, you know, geez, we could talk about, you know, I, I'm sure that we could if we invoked the name of Bombardier, we could probably go for another hour. And maybe we would uh, if we didn't have our next two guests set to go first. I want to remind you that the team at Friesen Brothers coming up on March 5th is going to be opening up their 15th. Alberta location. Friesen Brothers for more than 60 years has been in the grocery game, family owned and supporting Alberta producers. So whether it's beef, pork, chicken, turkey, produce, even Alberta milled flour that you're looking for, you're going to find it at Friesen Brothers. Their new location, I'm going to start telling you about it more specifically in the month of March. I've had a chance to tour it a couple of times with the company's founder, uh, officer of the Order of Canada, Frank Loveson, who's just a legend in Alberta's business community. You remember I, I read that letter about corporate subsidies that Frank wrote into the show? Uh, well, Frank showed me around the store, and uh, I'm especially excited about the grill, the Forno pizza oven, and the craft beer on tap. That's right. While your partner, your kids, or your parents, uh, assuming you're 18, are doing the grocery shopping, you can hang out by the fireplace and crush a pint at Friesen Brothers. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be their official marketing, crush a pint at Friesen Brothers. If I was writing the plan, that would be it. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. We also want to remind you that the team at Dairy Queen right now has you covered for Valentine's Day for under 17 bucks. They have this doubled up kind of blizzard Valentine's Day sweetheart cake. Oh my gosh. Three flavor options, including red velvet and choco cherry love. It's $16.49. It's great for two people. Or hey, if you want to just sit by yourself and watch rom-coms, you go nuts. It's your day, baby. You can find that for $16.49 at Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Well, last night, a dramatic development in Fort McMurray. I'm going to let them tell us the story as opposed to me telling you the story. A unanimous vote from city council sending a very clear message to the province of Alberta. Uh, Mayor Don Scott was there, of course. Fire Chief Jody Butts is the one that's going to be managing a lot of these changes as Fort McMurray says, hell no we'll manage 911 ourselves thank you very much gentlemen welcome back to real talk thanks for making time for us thanks for having us again ryan yeah mayor this uh let's get right into it this is this is uh, remarkable i would suspect uh i can, can can i say in your political career that this is probably the most meaningful action uh, that you've ever been a part of take us into what happened last night yeah, I can say that this is probably the most important decision I've been a part of in my political life and perhaps uh, one of the main ones in my entire life. Uh, and this didn't come lightly. What I can say is when a government doesn't listen to residents and elected officials in a municipality, when the provincial government refuses to listen for over seven months, these 
are the kind of steps that our municipality and others should be considering. Uh, when we're not listened to, then action should be taken. I don't take defiance lightly. Uh, I believe there are circumstances where acts of resistance and defiance are justified, and this is one of them. I brought a motion last night that was unanimously supported by my colleagues that we refuse to transfer 911 calls to AHS. Uh, this, just remind your listeners, I'm sure they're already familiar with it. They imposed this on us a short time ago. We have been negotiating with them for seven months, telling them that the service we have always offered uh, before this change was superior. And since the change, we've seen that the health of our residents is at risk, and we're not going to stand for it. I don't take it lightly, but uh, we're not going to accept a degradation of service and an impact to our residents that's going to affect their health. So there are times when resistance is necessary and defiance. This is one of them. So, Chief Botts, what what is this change? I mean, with when somebody calls nine one one looking for uh, now, I'll acknowledge police. I believe RCMP is going to be a little bit of a different scenario. But when somebody calls uh, seeking help uh, from from fire or ambulance or both, what changes here today? Is this effective immediately in Fort McMurray? Uh, we're we're working through that process, but that'll happen very quickly. Uh, the it, it really simplifies everything to where it it, it should be. The, uh, the, the dispatcher that answers the 911 call will be the same dispatcher that does the call evaluation. And in that, during that call evaluation, the integrated dispatch model within the same room uh, team will be uh, dispatching uh, the uh, required resources simultaneously. So the significant decrease in time. And, and Ryan, let me be clear, uh, this isn't, that's what we used to do. And so we're, this is just a step back to where what uh, we're, what we were very and we are very good at. So this is uh, uh, we've got some questions here. As a matter of fact, a paramedic is sending in some questions and, and maybe we'll get into the brass tacks of all of this. But but obviously this will cause or is causing uh, ripples. Uh, this is not going to make the provincial government happy. Obviously, you guys are very well aware of this. Uh, you know, Mayor, you use the word defiance here. What do you expect the follow to be? How will this impact or move things back or move things forward? with the province. I mean, some people are suggesting the council could be dissolved. What are you expecting? You know what? I, I challenged the province to remove me. I certainly challenged them to do that. And when I spoke to my council last night, I let them know that that was a distinct possibility. The province has had nothing but tunnel vision. Uh, you know, we've, we've tried to get an answer from the premier. We have spoken to the minister of health. We've had many, many meetings. There's been seven months of discussion. We have shown them the facts. The facts support everything that we have been advocating. They refuse to listen, and this is exactly the repercussions when you refuse to listen. Uh, you know, if, if they decide that they're going to remove, remove us as a council or me as a mayor, what they've got to remember is that Albertans can remove them as a government, so they better keep that in mind as they go forward. Yeah, I, I would suspect that all hell would break loose uh, in Fort McMurray and probably across the province if if the government attempted to make that move. Uh, Chief Butts, this, I suppose, puts your firefighters um, and I don't know if, if you oversee because it's, it's different in every jurisdiction. Forgive my my ignorance here. Um, I don't know how your fire medics work or if the fire department works with paramedics. Do you have ambulances in the fire halls? How, how does this all work? Because it's different, yeah. right? It's different than Calgary. It's different than Lethbridge. You guys own your ambulances. Not everybody owns their ambulances. Uh, so we're, you know, different from Calgary, but not different from Lethbridge uh, or Red Deer. We are integrated departments, meaning 
we have dual trained uh, staff out there. There, there are both uh, fire trained and medically trained, all of them. And we, and we leverage that, and we get consider that a strength uh, that that we leverage. Hey, I, I just want to add. Um, I, I guess it, it, to to what Mayor Scott had said earlier, this is not a decision that comes lightly. And I want to be very clear that this we've been at the advocacy piece for months, as as Mayor Scott has mentioned. This is uh, this is this is a this is an operational decision based on patient care or patient safety. We've got since the transition, we're three weeks into this. We've got specific evidence that that shows that um, th- that the system that AHS is trying to impose upon us is far less and and quite frankly unacceptable. And I, I would call it a broken system. Um, and it's it's just it, it, it's this is about uh, patient or I guess the safety of our residents. And and, and it's just unfortunate we've had to get there. I, I also want to say in, in to your earlier point is that we have always been doing this. We have always managed the EMS and the fire side of this. So we have uh, all, we have capable and competent uh, dispatchers that work out of an accredited uh, dispatch center. Our, our emergency response personnel, our paramedics, our primary care, advanced care medics, and our firefighters are all dual trained. Um, so we can pick this up uh, like I said, quite frankly, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a step backwards to where we were, and it is a certainly, without doubt, a a better service level. Let me ask you that this is a bit of a lengthy question from from Bob, who's watching in. I, I know Bob to be a paramedic. Um, yeah, this is for Chief Butts, uh, Mayor. If you want to comment on this afterward as well, I'd encourage you to. He says the crux of the matter here is that the fire uh, Fort McMurray Fire is a, is a contracted provider of ambulance services through Alberta Health Services. The paramedics that work on the ambulance are AHS employees uh, asking them to decide which dispatch center gets priority and which employer uh, policies they follow uh, puts their professional license at risk. It's unreasonable to ask paramedics that already carry an emotional burden of each call to take on additional operational stresses. What does the municipality plan to do if Alberta Health Services decides to pull the contract due to these actions? Will they guarantee any staff that don't follow AHS policy will be protected? Chief? Uh, Wrong. Uh, they are not AHS employees. They are employees of the RMWB, period. Okay. And so in other words, you're calling the shots. Their jobs are safe. What's the worst case scenario here? I mean, if the province, if Jason Kenny really wanted to flex or Tyler Chandra wanted to flex or Casey Madu or whoever's overseeing this, uh, what would that look like? What would be worst case scenario? So let's make sure that we, we keep the, the line, the pass here clear. Uh, we're talking about EMS dispatch. And on the other side of it, what Bob was has mentioned is that we are, yes, we are a third-party contractor to provide EMS services in the Wood Buffalo region to AHS. But all the resources, the ambulances, the equipment, and the people, uh, staff, are, are, are staff of the RMWB. All the, It's all funded by the RMWB. The... I, I suppose, and, and the unfortunate piece here is that this is about the dispatching and the and the tracking and the deployment of resources. What the and I don't want to confuse the fact that the ground ambulance piece is separate from this, and I want to be very clear on that. Mayor, we've got an interesting comment here from Lynn, who says, "I cannot imagine how frustrating this has been, especially for rural communities." and communities with smaller populations. 
Lynn says, I'm wondering how many other smaller Alberta communities will consider a similar move. You've been on the show with with Mayor Veer in Red Deer, Mayor Spearman in Lethbridge, Mayor Nenshi in Calgary. This is not simply limited to Fort McMurray, not limited to the the RM of Wood Buffalo. Have you been talking to other elected leaders? Have you been talking to to mayors and Reeves? Do you believe that this is a sentiment that could continue to grow? Do you think that other municipalities could take steps like this uh, in the in the weeks to come? I anticipate that's going to happen. Uh, I think when people consider the issue of the health of their residents, they're going to do everything in their power to protect their residents. And I already know that there's at least one municipality that is very likely to take this very same step. I'd I'd rather not name them because I think they'd want to lead it themselves. But I believe we're not going to stand alone. And I know that many Albertans stand with us and certainly the residents of my region stand with us uh, from uh, all the feedback that I've been getting. Have you uh, have you heard back from AHS? No, uh, very typically, uh, I haven't heard a word, and that's not unusual. I mean, we've been trying to get an answer for seven months uh, on uh, something that should be so clear and obvious, and they've refused, and we just we're not going to accept it anymore. You know, we there comes a time that uh, you know you need to challenge a decision, and this is it. Were you surprised, Mayor, that the vote last night was unanimous, that, that not a single councillor uh, elected to try to save their skin? You see on, you see on some councils, um, and I would suggest, by the way, the unanimous vote will ensure that these councillors will be wildly popular within their own jurisdiction, which is really all that matters to them. Um, but ultimately, on some councils, including here in Edmonton, uh, you'll see a, a dissenting vote. You'll see somebody that will go against council just because of the political capital they can gain by doing that. Were you surprised it was unanimous? You know, I think we've had a council that stood side by side with Chief Butts and the entire team up here, the EMS team. And we've seen what's happened with the EMS shift, which just happened a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, it's it's putting our residents at risk. They are, it's putting lives at risk. And if this continues, if we didn't take action, then we would have to look in the mirror and say, why didn't we take m- more steps? And I think uh, this council can be proud. And as I said, if uh, the province doesn't like it, I would challenge them to remove me. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The MLAs that, that represent uh, this region of, of Alberta, Layla Goodridge and Tani Yao. Tani Yao is a former paramedic, isn't he? Um, have, is. have, have, have either of you heard from your MLAs on this? Chief Butts, I'll start with you. Have you heard from either of them, including the former paramedic? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, not, not recently. Certainly not since the transition, no. Mayor? Yeah, what I can say is I understand someone sent me a screenshot of a post that he put out last night uh, supporting the council decision. So I, I believe that I'm not sure where that post came from, but I understand he is supportive of our approach in our decision and that's a uh, a courageous stand for him to take yeah well i mean he's 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 probably i'm trying to find it right now i'm trying to search it live as we speak i would imagine he's still uh looking to sort of salvage his reputation as as he was one of those uh conservative mlas that was traveling over the break you remember they couldn't get a hold of him when he was in mexico he was off the map for a while um i'll see if i can track that down i haven't seen that post that would be remarkable um what does this mean for regional partners what does it mean for r- rural communities and and indigenous partners chief well you've heard uh, from our Anzac fire department and the basically the community of Anzac on Monday when uh, Captain Julie Stewart spoke in regards to an unfortunate situation that occurred in her community 
Um, this is, uh, and, and since the transition, uh, we, we've got, you know, we've, we've been watching this, uh, this system, and I'll say it again, it's a broken system. And, and it does not, uh, it certainly doesn't improve. And I would say it, 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 it degrades service even further for our rural communities. Um, their answer is that medical first response program. And that is quite clearly um, a, a AHS is downloading uh, their gap in service onto the local level and our local departments. And that, you know, I, I can't help but, but, but say this, uh, I, I, you know, the reaction to Alberta Health Services and our Alberta Chief Paramedic, um, his comments to the Anzac situation, the, you know, that, that wasn't very good at all. It was uh, basically unprofessional call, using words of um, dishonest and disingenuous and inadvertently placing the blame back on our, on our uh, volunteer department, which is, that's not, that, that's not true at all. Well, yeah, they're um, calling them liars, Chief. I know they are, and they're hiding, be- they're hiding behind a piece of software. And that's what that's what this has become, uh, uh, Ryan. Is that they have become so far removed from the original nine one one caller that um, you know, you know, in their in their effort to try and consolidate EMS in the provincial, and at least in, in my view, and uh, 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 you know, pardon the pun here, but they're putting a band aid, find a process, use a little technology, band aid on band aid, and what has become is they've been so far removed from the original 911 caller that it has, it, it's really affecting, it's really affecting care. And, and I can't, you know, it's will stick with me for a long time. We, we've been watching every one of these EMS calls and the, uh, there was that young caller. Uh, we had a young 911 caller who was calling 911 for a friend. And, um, you know, the Alberta Health, this system Alberta Health uses, they bounced that young caller across, around our province three times. And that young caller had to, had to say their ad, her address six different times. Um, that, and, and that, I mean, that articulates how, how, dis, how disremoved they are from this. I'll, I'll tell you with, with 100% confidence that our 911, our 911 dispatcher would have, would, have, would have put some human behind that, uh, some intuition behind that, and held their hand through the phone on that whole call. And that's, that's what's missing here. That's what's so obvious. Um, and we can absolutely, if we were, so now with mayor and council support, we can take a step back and drastically improve service. Mayor, you've been, and I'm going to let the two of you go. I know you've got a busy day and we're going to move the show on here. I just, I still am sort of every single day. It's almost like I have to remind myself how remarkable this is and not in a good way. I have to remind myself how remarkable it is that I'm talking to a fire chief and a mayor right now uh, that are talking about, I mean, the, the, the reality of this relationship and the relationships between municipalities and the provincial government right now, I don't even know how I would describe it. I mean, Mayor, you've, you've been a provincial minister. You've sat in cabinet. Uh, you were an MLA for the region. You've been part of the provincial government under the progressive conservatives. Uh, now you here you are leading a municipal government. They say in journalism, you know, you should never ask a question to which you already know the answer. So maybe I shouldn't even ask this, but how would you characterize the relationship between municipalities and the provincial government right now? I mean, if you had to describe it in one or two words, how would you describe it? Uh, it's strained. It's strained and it needs a lot of work. And one of the first steps they could do is work on things like this. It's a very easy decision to reverse. And uh, we've been asking them to do it 
for seven months, we've said, don't make this decision. There's going to be bad things that'll occur and our residents are going to have health issues as a result. That's exactly what happened. We predicted it. It happened. And then they said, oh, they're lying up there. Uh, that's not helpful to a good relationship. And if they want a good relationship, then they need to address issues like that right away and reverse this decision. There you have it. Uh, that's the mayor of Fort McMurray, Wood Buffalo, uh, Don Scott, the fire chief, regional fire chief for Fort McMurray, uh, Chief Jody Butts. Uh, thanks to the two of you for joining us. We appreciate you making this your first interview. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. You bet. Thank you, Ryan. Um, I want to credit the talented team at Fort McMurray today, uh, and you can check out their good reporting online. They're doing uh, a fantastic job up there. Um, support local journalism. Let me tell you this. Um, and uh, I appreciate the mayor's office for passing this along and helping us out. I was searching uh, MLA Tani Yao's uh, fi- uh, Facebook and Twitter, and I couldn't find anything. Um, it is reported at FortMcMurrayToday.com, uh, says the MLA, uh, a former firefighter and paramedic, quote, I admire my municipal colleagues and my former co-workers on this decision. They didn't receive satisfactory answers from Alberta Health Services, and I need to support them. Uh, we expect these groups to be transparent. Um, he's talking about the incidents in Anzac. We we heard from uh, Anzac's uh, volunteer fire captain, Julie Stewart. I don't know, as a matter of fact, that she's a volunteer. She's the captain of the Anzac Volunteer Fire Department. Let me clarify. And if you want to watch that interview, that was just a couple of days ago right here on Real Talk. She joined us from the fire hall. Uh, You can find it. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our podcast. You'll find you're looking for Captain Julie Stewart, uh, who talked to us about these incidents in Anzac. Uh, Tani Yao talks about them. Quote, we expect these groups to be transparent and accountable as to what happened. I never received any answer that gave me confidence. It sounds like what I deemed to be a significant error and it happened twice to people outdoors in this weather including a senior citizen that i believe was a broken leg or a broken arm was laying in the snow for like almost an hour uh, captain stewart tells the story you can find it there so that's tanny yao on the record um, will there be political consequences for tanny yao i mean look at who's leading this government look at the tendencies of this government most likely uh maybe tanny yao trying to either save face save his job who knows You can let me know what you think about this. I'm curious to hear from you. We're going to move on. We're going to talk about electric vehicles in just a second um, per audience demand. And and a little later on in the show, we're going to get to more of your emails. Right now, I want to remind you that you can save $70. That's right, $70 on your internet bill, natural gas or electricity. Uh, 70 bucks off your first bill at parkpower.ca. So long as when you sign up, it can be commercial or residential. Uh, make sure you use the promo code 2021-REALTALK. That's 2021-REALTALK at parkpower.ca. You're going to pay somebody to bring natural gas. I mean, unless you're Audric Moses, who joined us yesterday, and you go, "Ah, I'm good without natural gas, thanks. But unless you're Audric Moses and Marnie, his wife, who was just brilliant on the show, you're going to need natural gas. We know that we're going through a lot of it right now. We've got our electricity coming through, thank goodness, our internet as well. we got to pay somebody. Why not pay the supporter of the program that you're watching or listening to right now? Again, parkpower.ca 2021-RealTalk. Also want to remind you that the team at Grand Dog Essentials is putting out quality raw food. And when I look into this lens or when I speak into this microphone and I steer you there, it's because our dogs eat 
Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food and have done for several years now. As a matter of fact, we, our family, has proudly supported their family. And it doesn't hurt that they give us doorstop delivery every time we need it. Every couple of weeks, they drop off a 40-pound box of frozen dog food. It's, uh, of course, per the nutritional requirements of our dogs, their team can help you sort it out. And you're going to save 10% off your first order as well by using the promo code REALTALK. You can link to their website or find them on social media. Just check out the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's where you can learn more about all of our partners, all of the builders we're proud to call them. Well, so many of you have reached out to the show and you said, you know what we would love? We would love to hear more about electric vehicles. We want to hear about EVs. It's because, of course, there's been a lot of buzz around it lately. General Motors announcing just a short time ago that within the next 14 years, they were going to be manufacturing nothing but EVs. Of course, we had and we're going to show you a little bit of it in a little bit. That pretty prominent ad that was put out right around Super Bowl time uh, featuring Will Ferrell and others. General Motors saying, hey, listen, we're falling behind Norway on EVs. We got to do better on this. Well, if you want to talk EVs in Canada, you're going to want to talk to our next guest. Nino DeCara is the publisher of Canada's preeminent publication, Electric Autonomy Canada. You can find them online at electricautonomy.ca. He's been talking EVs for years now, uh, including autonomous transportation and new mobility services. Nino, welcome to Real Talk and thanks for making time for us today. Hi, Ryan. Thanks very much for having me on. So you can certainly look into that lens and you can say to all of us, I've been talking EVs since before it was cool, since before it was trendy. You've been on this for a long time. How did your relationship, how did your interest, how did this all start with you? Well, it actually started with a a documentary called um, Who Killed the, the Electric Car? And um, it, it, it ain't still available on Netflix. And it really spoke about, you know, some of the challenges that had come about uh, through really trying to make electric vehicles mainstream and how there had been a history of them, but that they had never made their way fully to market. And, um, and it just seemed to me that electric vehicles were kind of like a better, better technology, um, you know, more efficient, quieter, smoother, that sort of thing. And um, I, I felt like I wanted to actually do something to really help the transition happen. So um, the way that I got a lot of my knowledge and the way that I really got involved is that um, I joined an organization called the EV Society, the Electric Vehicle Society. Um, it's, it's a group of electric vehicle owners and they've got um, affiliate chapters across the country um, where anybody can join and, and, and sign up and speak to other owners of electric vehicles and uh, they're all really super great people, all really willing and happy to share their stories. And I, I learned a great deal by being involved in this organization and, and volunteering uh, with them. And I'd, I'd recommend it for any, anyone who's listening who'd like to learn more. You know, you can't, you can't do better than uh, speaking directly with a, an EV owner. So, um, so, so that, that's what really uh, helped, helped build my education. And then just obviously a lot of reading, as, as, as a lot of people are doing now. And, uh, and then I felt that there was a, a gap to uh of information you know there's always a challenge with quality information about electric vehicles and the transition and that, that's the reason why i launched electric uh, autonomy a couple of years ago to really provide quality information that that really uh, 
put a national lens on on Canada's movement uh, in this transition and really help showcase some of the best practices and and new initiatives that are are happening. I'm looking forward to to talking to you about uh, this story through a Canadian lens. And and I know that you'll be able to, I have no doubt, because I'm I'm looking at electricautonomy.ca right now and I see that you've got feature reporting on how Nova Scotia's new premier is expected to advance a a pro-EV policy agenda. And and, uh, you you do a lot of great work on regional coverage of, of EVs here uh, that can benefit a lot of people and we'll certainly talk about the EV reality including hey the cold snap right now is a great time to evaluate their efficiency etc but I think our audience might be curious to know Nina how how your personal uh, reality changed whether that was vehicle ownership or your transportation habits or where you've invested your money Um, since you you know you viewed that documentary who killed the electric car you started connecting with these people what changed in your personal life um, well, I think the biggest thing was, you know, I had a corporate career and it, it was it was yeah, really great and um, and I and I enjoyed it immensely. But but I felt that, you know, having reached a certain level in my career, I, I felt that I wanted to kind of do something meaningful and purposeful. And obviously, you know, the climate crisis is a, is a real thing, and I, you know, I I have a an enthusiasm and passion for electric vehicles just because i think they're better you know i don't i don't like walking my son to school and seeing all those tailpipes uh, spewing out gas right next to the school doors you know and i just think well wouldn't it be great if we just had electric vehicles and there wasn't all that that pollution and everything was a lot quieter i mean i'm sure we've all stood next to buses and trucks when they've driven by and you can't speak for a minute because of the noise and every time that happens it's kind of like oh, i just want to make that change so I think that for me, the biggest change was actually deciding to make um, a, a, you know, a, a career and a business uh, out, out of something that was an enthusiasm and a, and a hobby and, um, and, and, and just you know, getting more immersed in the, in the, in the community overall. Were you uh, kind really of the were you the, kind of the uh, the you know the average Canadian household that owned uh, you know one point five internal combustion engine you know did did you have sort of two cars in the driveway and you sold both of them or or did you change anything on that front? Yeah, we had a gas burner. Yeah, we had a Volkswagen Tiguan, and and in fact, I was still driving that when I launched Electric Autonomy. But uh, I um, you know it, you know I was able, I was lucky enough to be able to. Um, you know, to trade that in and actually buy an electric car. Um, but, you know, if people are interested in the space, you don't have to be an electric car driver to kind of get into it and learn about it and uh, and even volunteer in the space. Let's talk about what we're seeing, uh, the trends in industry Obviously, there's we're not going to take the time to show the whole thing. People can watch it on YouTube for themselves. But but, uh, you know, one of Hollywood's biggest stars, one of one of one of the you know the most beloved comedians on planet Earth, Will Ferrell, starring in General Motors in, in particular in Cadillac's new advertisement about EVs. And and he jokes around about how the U.S. is falling behind Norway when it comes to EVs. And, and Sam, maybe you can just show us that as B-roll. It's 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 a lot of pe- it's got a lot of people talking about uh, what Cadillac is is getting set to roll out and, and we're seeing other auto manufacturers i know our listeners have been talking about jaguar and and others that uh, mercedes is saying hey you know within the next little bit and most notably over the next decade or so we will be transitioning to ultimately maybe in the next 15 years an exclusively ev lineup in other words we're not going to have any as you called them gas burners we're not even going to make them available 15 years from now 
what's prompted this trend? I mean, I think people have, have gone from a certain degree of, of saying, yeah, you know, maybe the ultra wealthy can afford the Tesla Model X or maybe somebody that that has a, a gas burner as a backup vehicle if they need to go on a big, long road trip might be able to flirt with the idea of a, a Chevy Volt or a Nissan Leaf. But now we're talking about transforming the auto market in North America in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, the, the movement was uh, very much driven by, by climate change and the fact that uh, less uh, carbon emissions are generated through the, through the lifetime of an electric vehicle compared to a combustion vehicle. And because of the climate crisis, there's been a lot of uh, financial support and encouragement and investment from, from governments around the world. However, what's now happened is that the transition is accelerating because it's a technological disruption. It, it's now happening because it, it's, it's very clear to, uh, uh, you know, I think, drivers, owners, and to the car makers and people around that EVs are, are a better technology. You know, it's like trading up from a, a, video, a video cassette player to a DVD player or, or, or Netflix. It's, it's superior technology. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's part of the Tesla impact is they kind of jumped to light speed and, and, and produced a, 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 a vehicle that, you know, was a solid product with a good range. Um, and so said, look, this is, this is what it can be. And so now others are, 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 are now the other automakers are working really hard to, to develop those, those lineups. Um, but it, yeah, so but but it's obviously challenging for them to, to to get up to up to that speed. You know, there's there's a lot of demand for EVs, and there's not always the supply. You know, there's not always the availability of them. Um, so it's not through lack of you know people wanting to buy these things. It, it's you know it, it's really you know I think if you ask people if there was an electric vehicle that was the same price as you know an equivalent gas car, would you buy it? I think for a lot of people, it, it, you know, it'd be a no-brain decision. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to know where you think them. Where are the the? Um, and we'll trust you here. I know that I, I know that you're not going to be afraid to share with us if we're, if we're making a pros and cons list. Uh, let's say somebody says I I can allocate thirty five thousand to my next vehicle purchase, or I can allocate seventy thousand, or you know, if you're up in that stratosphere, hey, we can dream big. We can allocate, a, a, you know, 125000 to our next vehicle purchase. And they're open to the idea of an EV. And they know that there are options available at each of those price points because there are. Um, what yeah. are the pros and cons? The pros are obviously emissions, right? Uh, efficiency. What are the cons, yeah. honestly speaking? Yeah. So I think the cons are the... Um you, you do lose uh, in the winter you do lose a bit of range so the range that you will buy your car at will in the winter d diminish by about a third roughly give or take plus or minus so the cold climate does take off a, a chunk of range that, that is that is that is that is you know definitely not not a good thing um you know the you know, beyond and some for for some of the vehicles, you know. So, so let's take that that thirty eight, thirty five, thirty eight thousand dollar price point. You can currently get 
a Volkswagen e-Golf for that price. And that will give you around 200 kilometers of range, or you could buy something used with, with more range. Um, that, that, that range may, may not be enough for you, you know, especially if you, if you lose a bit, a bit of the winter. Um, if you go up to sort of 46,000, 48,000, you can get something with around 350 to 400 kilometer range, like a Chevy Bolt or a Nissan Leaf, you know, great vehicles um, that, that, will, that will pretty well cover it. But the thing about the range, you know, which is often you know, thrown up as a, as, a, as a problem is the average Canadian drives 45 kilometers a day. So it, it's for, mo for most people, and I know it's not everybody, and especially in, in, in big journey, you know, uh, regions like Alberta, for example, where the average journey is, you know, undoubtedly longer, you know, people will want more, but the average Canadian does 45 kilometers a day. So that means that it's well within your range to, you know, most charging happens at home. So you're going to be charging up at home. Um, you know, one of these vehicles would do people very well, certainly as a second car and in a, lot, in a lot of cases, you know, as a primary car. You know, as soon as you get into that $46,000 range and up, then you're getting this 400 kilometer range uh, approximately, which for most people is enough of a single journey to, before you need to stop for a break, you know? You know, I wondered, Nino, you know, too, if, if you know, I remember my brother, for example, this is anecdotal and, and really has nothing to do with EVs, but my brother and his wife live in downtown Vancouver. They've got a wonderful place downtown Vancouver. They love living there and they experienced some problems with the vehicle that he had loved for many years. And he said, you know what, we're just going to get rid of it. And of course, because I'm hardwired a certain way, I say, well, what are you going to replace it with? And he goes, nothing. And I was like, Nothing. Uh, and, and they adjusted their lifestyle and they used transit and they walked a little bit more and they rode their bikes. And when they needed to go somewhere, you know, if he had to go to Chilliwack or something, or they wanted to go down to Seattle, they would, they would simply use a car share and they would get a vehicle. And, and, and as a matter of fact, his transition was very easy and quite seamless. And what I realized through that exercise was that I think a certain way, which is that the vehicle I take to work every day or the vehicle that I use to, to, you know, drive to the outdoor rink to play shinny with my friends or the vehicle I used to drive to Kamloops all has to be the same vehicle. And I have to own that vehicle and I have to be able to, to charge it up or fill the tank of gas at my convenience immediately whenever I want. How much of this is kind of a, an intellectual exercise or, or, or a lifestyle exercise? Uh, you're absolutely spot on, you know, and, and this is it for me, you know, and you know, I, I think the issue is, is about, you know, it really it often they use the term education, you know, helping people understand what it means to be an EV driver and how the behavior changes a little bit. And I do just want to just refer back to your friend who you mentioned, um, you know, managed to, to, to eliminate his own personal vehicle completely. And, and like, that's the goal. Like, that, like no, no vehicle is better than an EV, you know, and using active transportation like e-bikes and cycling and public transit, that's absolutely brilliant. You know, the more people that can do that, the, the better. But yeah, that, that point, you know, you often, when you talk to people about range, it's like, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's great, but you know, what about when I want to visit my brother-in-law or something and, you know, he lives like a thousand, you know, 2000 kilometers away and, you know, we like doing a road trip out there and so on. It's like, well, the, the money you're going to save on gas by going electric will enable you to hire a convertible Mustang. <laughs> and you know, for those, for those road trips that you do like once or twice a year, go and have fun and, um, you know, in, enjoy the, the savings, the gas savings that you're getting with something like that. 
you'll still be up, you'll still be winning. But you're absolutely right. You know, for for the majority of your, you know, buy the vehicle for the majority of your trips. Sam um, is uh, you'll be so much happier. Nino, you can see right now, Sam is showing us some of the the really neat uh, innovation that's out there. And ava- there's that Tesla truck that everybody's talking about. Um, it seems like every every major automaker has been uh, working on this. Look at that Volkswagen uh, as they've been working on this for a while. And, and, and soon, of course, I think EVs will, will be more commonplace. Is there one innovator? Uh, is, is there one auto manufacturer that you're looking at that is miles that's kilometers ahead of everybody else? Who's really impressing you right now? Well, I, I think Tesla is 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 clearly ahead of the competition in terms of battery technology, battery supply, um, and and range and 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 so on. Um, Volkswagen have made an enormous commitment to electrification. That they've they've really doubled down on it, and they're pouring huge investments in. They're building new platforms for their future vehicles. I, you know, and they're also investing heavily in autonomy, as a lot, a lot of the, you know, as I, as is GM. But um, I, I see them being very progressive and committed to it. There is one, there is, you know, you know, one one automaker that is a, a real sort of Canadian success story right now, um, which makes commercial vehicles called Lion Electric in Quebec, and they make electric buses and and electric trucks. And um, they've got a great product line and they're developing lots of partnerships and, and uh, seem to be listed. And, um, you know, definitely, you know, a point of pride that we've got a, you know, a leading um, commercial electric vehicle manufacturer in, in Canada. We talked to a guy. Uh, I referenced this, Nino, earlier um, just yesterday. His name is Audric Moses. And uh, he toured us. He and his wife, Marnie, toured us through their home. It's a net zero home. It's minus 40 degrees in Alberta right now. They don't even have a natural gas line running to the house. It's 20 degrees inside. He's totally comfortable. Um, You know, they put power back into the grid in the summer. It it was really neat um, to get a sense of of what you can do in in the context of home building these days with efficiency and green energy. He was quick to point out. He did it on his social media. He did it again in his interview with us. He said this is not an attack on oil and gas. This is not an indictment of oil and gas. This is not a lack of appreciation for oil and gas. I'm curious if maybe you can touch on that. I, I see a piece here at electricautonomy.ca. Um, we're talking to Nino Takar, who's the publisher, the founder of Electric Autonomy. Uh, here it is, a critical requirement for Alberta's energy transition. Storytellers. How can Alberta fit into the mix here? I mean, I've read the piece I think people might be surprised to hear that even the oil sands could play a role when it comes to manufacturing here. That might surprise some people. Uh, can you talk to our, our Alberta audience right now, Nino? Yeah, sure. And you know, thanks for highlighting that article. It was written by uh, Nathan Lempfers of the Smart Prosperity Institute. And, and uh, you know, it r- really highlights the, the, the point that we, you know, we, we should, we can, we can really reach out and, and sort of seize this moment. And, yeah, Suncor's uh, and, and Nathan references in that article. Suncor CEO Mark Little um, referenced that the oil sands, uh, you know, has a role to provide the carbon fiber required for for vehicles. So, you know, obviously electric vehicles included in that because um, obviously you know vehicle platforms are looking for lighter and lighter uh, materials. Um, also, uh, you know, Alberta has a, a great potential to be 
um, a, a leader in, in in hydrogen and Canada's first hydrogen energy hub is you know some of the language that's being 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 promoted. Um, it, it obviously you know we we st there's still going to be an enormous demand for oil. You know it doesn't you know the, you know the, the oil we burn in our vehicles is just is just one is just one part of it, and it, it, there's there's nothing. You know, I'm. You know, I, I don't think anybody in the in, in this sort of movement from EVs is really coming at it from a we're like we've, we've got to kill other things. It's it's like what can we do better? And I think increasingly, how how can we you know bring everybody a, a, along in this journey? You know, it's it, it's happening. There's you know now there's there's just no way that the transition to electric vehicles isn't isn't going to happen. The die's already cast. So. And I think that's why the storytellers uh, example in that article is really important is because given that's going to be the future, what role are we going to play and what role does Alberta want to play and, and who are going to be the, the individuals from that community who are going to help um, define and share and, and infuse people about what that vision is, is, is going to be and to help make it a reality. Yeah, you know, so the stories are just so powerful in that regard. A, a, a big part of this, um, and, and I want to show our, our viewers again your homepage here to get a sense of. I mean, you, you're doing an incredible job with your team, Nino. But but you know, you take a look at at the clean fuel standard that that they're expecting will spur new growth in Canada's charging networks, or uh, General Motors, the new electric delivery vans will be made in Canada, or Tesla and Dalhousie University Inc. a new research partnership deal. Uh, we also talked about Nova Scotia and, and maybe what they may incentivize under under their new political leadership here. There is with any industry uh, government incentive, uh, government investment uh, methods that a government would use to attract industry, to attract investment uh, to its region. One of the, the common complaints I've seen or criticisms around the electric vehicle trend or, or the industry or however you want it, the movement, if you want to call it that. People have asserted that without subsidies, it may not survive. In other words, people may not buy the cars that they didn't have government subsidies or, you know, I can see your your posture changed a little bit as I said that. Uh, what, what would be your response to people that would say this is not an industry that can stand on its own two feet without government intervention or support? Well, uh, you know, government gives a lot of support to a lot of established industries as, as well as to a lot of new ones. And um we are close to the tip you know the, the, the incentives incentives right now are, are coming from federally and in some provincial governments to um, help offset the cost of the purchase of a vehicle and to do, to install charging infrastructure and the the cost of um, vehicles is, is of electric vehicles is, is rapidly coming down and there are projections that, that indicate that we will be at cost parity within a couple of years. So the cost of buying an EV will, will be the same for an equivalent uh, gas vehicle. So the incentives are really just helping us through this early adopter stage, which a lot of technologies go through. Um, so that 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 parity point is going to come, and there'll be less need for you know for those vehicle incentives at, at that point. Um, charging infrastructure, you know, we, we're building. You know, the, it's, it's like building the, C, you know, the railway, the CM railway. You know, these charging infrastructure is going to what help connect Canada. You know, going to help enable Canada, to, you know, people to drive across the country, you know, through their through their communities and so on. So we build, you know, that the investments in that are sort of pretty foundational. This stuff's going to last a long time, and 
so and and, and i and i i you know i you know i i, I don't know what the future holds for for governments you know support and investment charging infrastructure in the long time um but right now there's a lot of you know private money going into building private uh, public charging infrastructure as well um so i you know i don't i don't think the, yeah i certainly don't think it's the case that the industry is not going to I, I certainly think the transition is absolutely going to happen whether the subsidies are, are there or, or, or not you know beyond a year or two it's interesting with with technology you you could pick whatever you want to talk about whether it's uh smartphones or external hard drives or laptops or maybe evs uh, you may have a tough time selling one that's that's two or three or five years old because in some circumstances the the technology is obsolete or the performance just isn't there uh, with regards to what you can get present day new on the market. A really interesting question from Kaylin, who's watching from Vancouver, says, if I ever buy a car, uh, I hope it can be an EV. Uh, she says, I'm curious about the potential for secondhand markets when batteries have a shorter lifespan than the car. And she says she'd be concerned about the cost of replacement there. I've also seen some people suggest that, you know, they do create a bit of an environmental deficit as well. You know, 10 years from now, we're going to have a real problem on our hands with as these batteries start to pile up and we have to figure out, um, you know, I, let me say ethical ways or environmentally friendly ways of dealing with them. Uh, it's a great question from Kaylin. What would you tell her? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, indeed, a, a really good question. And thanks for asking it. You know, it's it's good to have an opportunity to, to address those those comments. Um, you know, I, I've got a friend who's got a a a ten-year-old um, uh, Tesla, approximately, and the, the range loss on that vehicle is around ten percent, ten to fifteen percent over that period of time. The, the battery is still going strong, and it's not showing signs of failing anytime soon. Um, and there is there has been research done. There is an article on our site. Um, by a, a company called Geotab, um, which shows actually that electric vehicle batteries are, are, are proving to have very good longevity. But let's say the, the battery does need to be removed from the vehicle at some point. Well, there's there's a lot of precious metal and material in that battery. And, you know, two things can happen. It, you know, the first thing that you always look for is, is reuse before you recycle. And um, EV batteries, can potentially play a role and do play a role as, as, um, as stationary storage. So, you know, these could potentially be on our homes or on our businesses that help offset peak electricity costs during those peak demand times. Um, you know, your home can run off the battery potentially at, or, um, you know, during blackouts actually provide a, a bit of backup uh, power. So there is, there is a secondary life for vehicle batteries. But let's say that the battery no longer is good for that, um, for that uh, reuse, there is uh, there, there it, within Canada we've actually got three um, at least uh, battery recycling companies who are developing um, battery recycling technology. Uh, uh, one of them has recently conducted a trial with a Canadian uh, uh, bus uh, manufacturer, New Flyer, on, on actually recycling uh, buses uh, batteries from from those uh, buses, and that pilot's proved successful at recapturing. Uh, those materials so i think the wrong thing to think is that somebody's going to go and, and, and throw these this, these precious metals and incredibly expensive battery in the lake or in, 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 a, in a junkyard somewhere it's just that's 
I, I, it, that, I mean, that may happen, but somebody's going to be after that battery because it's got it's got value. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just I, I can't imagine. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm just imagine. It's like it's it's dark humor. It, it's dark humor when you start imagining <laughs> if this is the industry that ultimately is going to become the biggest environmental liability. I don't think it's going to happen. We've got a we've got a great question here, not to suggest that we shouldn't talk about it. Um, Penny's got a great question. She wonders about converting uh, internal combustion vehicles to EVs. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I slightly panic and, I, and I'm mostly kidding, but I slightly panic when I hear conversations like these because we have our, um, you know, we have our daily drivers. I'll speak for my family alone, my experience alone. We have our daily drivers and then we have a couple hobby vehicles uh, and, and both of them uh, burn quite a bit of fuel. And uh, I am part of the problem. Um, one of them is an off road vehicle and one of them is a classic car. Uh, with with a, a 429 7.2 liter V8 that uses about a half a tank of gas to get across the city. Um, at what point will it be viable for me to look at the option of swapping those over to EVs? And what year do you think the last gas station in Canada will close its doors? Well, um, you can already do the conversion right now. And in fact, the EV society that I mentioned earlier was born out in the nineties. I wasn't involved back then, but they were, it was a conversion club an electric vehicle conversion club. So it is absolutely possible to, um, to, to convert, uh, existing, existing vehicles. Um, economically, I, I'm not sure, but I, I don't know that it's, it's really viable or, or, or wise for, for like a regular vehicle. But for a classic for a classic car that obviously you know you know we want to preserve and, and keep on the road, um, that then you know I, I think there's there's obviously a very good case for it. Um, so in in terms of uh, in terms of the house gas station, I, I don't think we're going to see the end of the let's call it the service station because we will still need to charge publicly. You know when we're when we we're, we're going on a you know, a long journey, we will still need to make these public stops. And we want to stop in a comfortable place that's got a washroom and a convenience store and hot coffee and things like that. And, um, you know, service stations are in perfect locations. They're right by the road and um, they've got they've got great stores next to them. So, you know, the only thing is that they'll be a little, little quieter and a little bit less oily. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that that's one of the, I mean, Penny follows up, it was her question about the conversion and she says i she says i love my 2010 toyota tundra and i don't want to have all of that go into the landfill um i, I know off right. air sam brooks the producer of the show and i have, have been talking about that i mean with the transition there is the you know there's the reality that, that a lot of these internal combustion i mean i think personally i think that there's always going to be a market for them uh or maybe not always but at least there's a residual market right now for people that are making this slow transition uh, perhaps yeah. we'll be surprised as a society at how quickly people transition to EVs, but but most people don't replace their vehicles every eighteen months, right? Most people, I think, no, no. right? Yeah, sorry. And what I'd say to Penny is, yeah, you know, keep keep the vehicle, you know, drive it for as long as you you can, and you're enjoying it, and and, and when you're ready during you know through your natural cycle to to replace that vehicle. You know, I'd, I'd encourage you to to see what electric vehicle options are, are available. Um, but you know, and, unless you're, you know, unless you've got the, fu- you know, the, 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 you know, unless you've got the money to be able to, you know, do, do a, a, re- a replacement vehicle quicker than you might ordinarily within your usual 
you know, lease period or, or vehicle lifetime, then, you know, keep going on what you've got. Um, and, you know, when you do come to uh, replace it, there's going to be even even better options available. But I would say to anybody who's thinking of replacing their vehicle now, I, I would say, I mean, you know, what I tell friends is, you know, go for an electric vehicle if you can, if there's a model. And if not, stick with stick with what you've got until you see the thing that you want, you know, arrive on the market. Because and you, and you know, Ryan, you touch on the residual values, you know that you know the the the, re, the resale values at some point of combustion vehicles, you know, will we, we'll have to just start mirroring what happens to cassette players and and, and DVD. Players. Well, Nino, that's exactly what I'm wondering about. I mean, I, I wonder right now if if somebody goes out and spends. I mean, these SUVs, even even pickup trucks, right now. I mean, like a like a beautiful, fully loaded three quarter ton truck is 100 grand. Uh, a hundred grand. A buddy of mine just got a one ton, fully loaded Chevy. It's like ninety five thousand um, dollars. You know, I mean, he may expect to drive that for the next ten or fifteen years. I doubt it, with how hard he works and what he puts his trucks through. But you've got to wonder if there's EV options out there five or six or eight years from now. Um, all of a sudden, you yeah. have to imagine the resale market on a lot of these internal combustion vehicles the bottom could fall out yeah you know uh, ford and gm have, have said they're working on the electric uh, pickups and who's not going to want to ride around in a, in a quieter vehicle that's more responsive and got faster acceleration and, and costs like <laughs> well 20 percent of the fuel costs some you know? pe- some people will find a way to make their ev sound like it <laughs> sound like they're still rolling coal we know that's gonna happen it is true, yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is a, you know, there's um, maybe some sound effects that we can add on to to give us that that, that great feeling. Doesn't Tesla? I gas. think Tesla has that, don't they? Doesn't Tesla have cabin noise that you can? So when you really hammer <laughs> on it, it makes it sound like it's you know. You, you've got it, they've got it so you can broadcast like um, snow bells and yeah. uh, you know the coconut horseshoe sound coming out. I'm, I'm sure they're going to be adding some car noise soon. Oh, it's just amazing. Nino, I could, I mean, listen, we, we've asked you, we've, we're already way over time. We asked you for half an hour of your time, but um, uh, we could obviously talk about this for hours. I'm already looking forward to your next appearance on the show. Um, we just wanted to kickstart the conversation on EVs and and get to some of the big talking points as, as we try to make sense of where this market's going and, and what it will mean for society, including uh, where people are watching. People are watching the show across Canada right now. We can see it on our map. So this is pretty cool stuff. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on, Ryan. Yeah, you bet, Nino. You can read Nino's good work and the work of his team by checking out electricautonomy.ca. You can also follow him directly on Twitter. Um, I link to him and to the publication. Uh, every morning I send out our guest list of who's going to be on the show so you have a bit of a heads up of, of who's going to be there. Um, that's also when we announced that, that Drew Barnes was going to join us this morning, and I see that not everybody's thrilled. Uh, imagine our surprise that not everybody's thrilled that Drew Barnes talked to us today. I'm going to get to some of your emails about that. I'm going to remind you uh, what the premise, what the entire bedrock of this show is. It's called Real Talk. Um, there's there's more complaints about me platforming Drew Barnes, and so I will address it again. But first, we want to remind you that uh, our team of supporters here includes the team at Eden Landscaping, and they want to push you just like we do with some of our editorial content. They want to push you out of your comfort zone. And so the team at Eden Landscaping knows that you're all you're you're thinking of, you know, some of the perennials that are going to pop up in your garden 
You can't wait to see the tulips and the daffodils first. And then and then you're going to get to all the other stuff that but you know you can do more with your yard. You know it. But thinking about building a gazebo like who has time for that? Or you want you want to run out a big outdoor kitchen? That sounds like a lot of work, right? You know that the property desperately needs a retaining wall, but what do you know about retaining walls? The thing is, they know a ton about all of it because they've been doing it for more than 20 years. You can check them out online at landscapeedmonton.ca. That's how you can make contact with them. Then they'll be happy to talk to you over Zoom. They can look at your property on Google Earth. And whether it is a simple planter box or or, or maybe it's flower beds, relatively modest, or, or maybe you say, this is our dream home and we've got a quarter million to put into this backyard. They do it all at Eden Landscaping, and you can find one of the sponsors tab on our website. Also wanted to remind you that if you're looking, if you're inspired by all this talk about EVs and and all the energy talk we've been having on the show, our good friends at Kubi Energy are ready to help you out. They're ready to help you chase what Audric and Marnie did with their home yesterday. I got an email from a listener, Megan, who said, we've already checked in with Kubi and we can't wait for our consultation because we're going to take our house off the grid. Kubi's been doing it for businesses and for residences in BC and Alberta. And of course, they have Tesla certified journeyman electricians doing all the work. Plus, they handle all your paperwork at Kubi Energy. You can find them online again. Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. Sam Brooks, after that conversation with Nino, are you getting set to... I was just jamming with the, uh, the ad music over You were here. digging yeah. the ad music. Uh, <laughs> let's take the Uncle Sam cam. Uncle Sam cam oh so boy. people... I just, I'm just... It's so fun to say um, that, that we need the Uncle Sam cam. But are you inspired now to, to sell the car that you're currently driving and get into an EV? You know what's interesting is... is and I mean, this kind of stemmed from uh, the question that I texted you midway through that interview because we have that very, very sophisticated way of communicating on this show. Um is is he answered my question point blank is like I, I was thinking about my own situation i was thinking like you know i i think it's sort of a foregone conclusion probably even a couple of years ago that that my next vehicle will be an ev and, and that might not come for a while right like I'm, I'm very happy with my car right now it's a tiny little four-cylinder engine like mine and kelly's car is both just sort of sip gas so we're we're in good shape but but i also know that like a time will come where just it will be the dominant technology and I can't wait to embrace that one day. And so like the question that I want to ask is, you know, if you, if you have an existing gasoline burning vehicle, uh, especially one like mine, that's actually very efficient. Uh, when do you take that plunge? Because, you know, giving up that vehicle has a cost to it. It's either going to stay on the road and, and keep polluting in somebody else's hands, or yeah. it needs to be disposed of. And there's an environmental cost to that. And, and what, uh, what Nino said in his statement was like very, just sort of point blank. She's like, stay with your car if you like it wait until you know you get that refresh cycle that re that uh, that cycle where you're naturally ready to replace your vehicle and then kind of take the plunge so i think that's where my head's at is is you know it's it's the future i can't wait to embrace it um I've never driven an EV and I, I really, really want to get behind the wheel one. Like I have just want to play with that instant torque that they have. Have like, you ridden in an EV? Uh, it's like a spaceship. It's I, <laughs> like it's I just have to say and, and, you know, because we're in a position of public influence, we'll say always obey the rules of the road. Always drive appropriately. Never speed. I mean, never speed. These EVs 
Oh boy. And I'm not going to say like, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't ridden uh, in some of the entry level. Like, I don't know what, like, you know, like Nissan or Toyota. Some people are giving Toyota a lot of credit here on, on our, on our uh, chatterbox. Um, I don't know what the more affordable ones are capable of. Yeah. Like, you know, like 35, you can get into an EV, I think for about 35 grand, um, which is not peanuts, but I will say I have had a chance to ride in that Tesla model X and <laughs> it is motorcycle well, i was fast. gonna say I, I that's that's the exact same one that i've been uh, by luck of the draw i was at the toronto airport and yeah. called an uber and a model x showed Come up on. and i was like hell yeah whips down the 401 in this what's in this model, model x what's a model x driver doing driving uber i don't care no yeah it's not that's <laughs> i got to ride in it that's not your problem i just know that what I, I have a general sense of what uber drivers are making because they often tell me and i don't know how you're making the minimum payments on a tesla model x that's a it, it, as far as i understand it that's a two hundred plus thousand dollar car yeah, uh, well, it's, it's more of it's more kind of an suv it's well what is it it's like well it's an suv but it's got that it's got the gullwing doors it's on got it gullwing doors and it kind of looks like i oh my gosh i have friends with model x and they're gonna kill me for saying this but it's kind of more of like a minivan like it's not a minivan it's not a minivan but it's kind of like it's not an suv you could never you would never take it camping yeah I mean, maybe you would if if you if money's no object and you don't care if you rip the whole undercarriage out. But I I wouldn't take I wouldn't say it's anyway. But it's a it's a fabulous vehicle. It's a fabulous vehicle, and it is it's like zero to sixty miles an hour. It's like zero to one hundred kilometers an hour in like three seconds. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that you know um, Tesla's kind of I think they've been good and bad for the car industry. If I can, if I can be very candid about it, um, Tesla is. Uh, Tesla's Tesla makes car bling, right? Like Tesla's are very expensive, and like now they have the Model Three out, which is a more affordable one. But it's still, by and large, a company that you need some serious coin to buy into. And but at the same time, they made EVs popular and they pushed the market to make better technology. And like now we've reached a point where, like I said, GM is is yeah. within ten. 10 plus years yeah it was 2035 i think they said I think something like that so yeah i think it's a little over 10 years they're not going to make gasoline vehicles yeah. anymore i mean that's wild that's one of the world's largest auto manufacturers um uncle jemima is listening in and says here's the problem though jespo once the v8 kicks in the evs get smoked i don't think so buddy i don't know uh i mean i don't know i mean like i'm saying the tesla that model x that i was in that's that's ferrari fast i don't know what v8 you're driving but I don't I, I, I don't think that, that that EV I mean, maybe you're maybe you're talking about like the Chevy Volt gets smoked by the V8 for sure. But uh, not the I mean, I mean, I realize I'm talking about a quarter million dollar vehicle here. But, yeah, but it's it's going to walk whatever's on the road. But like also remember too, like the quarter million dollar vehicles of today are the common man's technology in five to ten years 100 percent. you know what i mean like that's that's the pace this technology yeah. is moving at. i think another real bellwether that we should look at is for years now formula one has been all hybrids and they're eyeing all electric like the future of motorsports is electric because they know they're faster and they know they're more responsive and they have you know an entirely different maintenance regime and it's just yeah, I, I think it. I think it's time to embrace the excitement around it. Yeah, uh, Doug makes a very good point. And as a matter of fact, I was kind of gonna. I was just getting set to make fun of both of us, Sam. Um, you're you're just you're guilty by association. Okay. So I'm sorry. I apologize. It comes with the what territory. What am I getting dragged into well, today? Well, you 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 agreed to ride shotgun to me, so you're sometimes gonna. And here's the thing. Um, not everybody cares about. Like, let me just read Doug's message. He says zero to sixty in two seconds means absolutely nothing to me. He says, I want an 
an electric SUV that has 700 kilometers range and uh, significant towing capacity. He says 3,500 pounds. I mean, Doug, let's let's make it 10,000 pounds. Let's make it so you can pull your wet trailer or pull your boat. And I agree with you. And that's what people not everybody. Of course, of course, the way my mind works, I only I'm like, have you seen how fast it is? Not everybody cares about that. And I will acknowledge that. May I also remind everybody that uh, every single freight train is electric, right? Sorry, diesel locomotives. The diesel in a locomotive on your average Joe freight train is a generator that runs electric engines. They have been for years and years and years. So when you want to talk about towing capacity and torque, heavy industry is already there with electric engines. See, Sam's way smarter than the rest of us. I mean, well, maybe not you. He's way smarter than me. Um, Scott Again, wouldn't say that. Scott says, I agree. Or Scott says, pardon me. He says, agree with Elon Musk or not. Uh, but he has demonstrated there's a demand for EVs, and this is great because he's pushed the big manufacturers to see this. Um, Scott, I think you're bang on. Um, is this true, Justin? Justin says the one thing I don't like about Tesla is how they've tried to take away features from vehicles when they've been resold. I don't know if that's true. You know what? Actually, mm. we, we have Adam O'Brien coming on the show. I'm pretty sure it's tomorrow. Um, he's the founder of Bitcoin. Well, and we're going to talk about Bitcoin and all these types of things. But he also I don't think. Yeah, Adam, he said on the show, he doesn't mind me saying he drives uh, Tesla. His family has a couple of Teslas. And um, and we'll ask him about that because he he's you'll see when we talk Tesla with Adam, his, his eyes just like he's just like he just loves it. So uh, he gets really passionate about it. I love this from Joel. Joel says my ride in an EV. Um, they basically said, are you ready? And I didn't have time to answer before I was slammed back in my passenger seat that from Joel. Uh, so there you go. OK, so there, there we go on EVs. We're going to be talking about this. Um, I saw one critic here and I don't remember where it is. I apologize. Uh, I wanted to, to, to be able to say his name. But one of the guys said that the, the guest was no good uh, because he was too esoteric. I was like, what are you talking about? Esoteric is like, um, I thought that I thought that Nino did an amazing job. He, he's he's kind of like the guy in Canada. We got the guy. Um, it's why it took us a few days to get the interview because we wanted to talk to the definitive voice on EVs in Canada, the publisher of electriceconomy.ca. But of course, you know, when we when we have conversations on this show, that's not the end of the conversation. Oh, we talked to two guys about Orphan Wells. I guess we've closed the file on Orphan Wells. No way. I mean, look what's happened, even just the journey. And I'm going to pump our tires for a second uh, because we don't have a big corporate machine pumping our tires. We got to pump our tires ourselves. You're pumping our tires, real talkers, by telling your friends about the show, by subscribing to us, by contributing to our Patreon, which we're so grateful for. We're pumping our own tires here. But look at the conversation that we had. What was it a month ago? With with Mayor Spearman in Lethbridge, Mayor Veer in Red Deer, uh, Mayor Scott in Fort McMurray and Mayor Nenshi in Calgary. You remember that? And then and either shortly before or after, I don't remember who was first. I think the mayors were first. Then we had the four fire chiefs. You remember that? And then what happened? Well, then the province made changes to 911. Then who came on? Then we had the volunteer, uh, the fire captain out of Anzac, right? And, and Mayor Scott from Fort McMurray headed their council meeting, right? And then last night they decide unanimously to essentially tell the provincial government to pound sand that they're going to manage their own 911. Mayor Don Scott on our show essentially daring the provincial government to try to remove him from office, which the government has the power to do. He says, I dare them to do it. That's happening on this show. That's happening on Real Talk. 
That's not happening on the traditional broadcasters with millions, tens of millions of dollars of infrastructure. It's happening here because viewers and listeners like you are saying, let's tackle this topic. Let's have real talk on this topic. And things are happening. The coal policy is being returned. The government says it's going to take meaningful action on writing up current modern environmental policy for the Canadian Rockies in the province of Alberta. You have power, my friends, my fellow real talkers, and it's incredible. So, of course, our conversations about electric vehicles will continue. Of course, we'll talk to people in Alberta that own EVs. This is not a show exclusively for Albertans. You're going to hear voices. I mean, yesterday we went to Brooklyn. We had a show a few weeks ago. Sam and I didn't even really notice at the time. We didn't do it on purpose. But you remember the one show I'm talking about. We had, I think we had a guest from Vancouver, a guest from Toronto, a guest from New York, and a guest from from Stockholm. We live in the Zoom universe. This we, is great. We're talking to people all around the world. I mean, Stephen Duckett wants to pop in from, from Melbourne. No problem, right? I mean, it's a yeah, totally different game. Salmon we're dinners. Talking about bragging about his salmon dinners, that guy. Didn't even he didn't he left it up to us to make the cookie wise crack. He didn't even make a cookie joke himself. I wanted to leave some time to get to some of your emails. We're so grateful. And, and I always uh, I always underestimate the conversations we're going to have. And I think, you know, today's the day I'm going to read 15 emails and, and we just don't have the time. But we're going to chip away at this and you can be in touch with us anytime. Talk at Ryan Calvin wrote in just a few days ago. He wrote in on Thursday. He said, I find myself more and more disturbed. Um, this is actually fitting. Some of you are ticked off at me right now that I, that I brought Drew Barnes on the show. Um, you know me well enough to know that, A, I respect you and love you. And B, it doesn't bother me that you're pissed at me about having Drew Barnes on the show because we're going to talk to people with different perspectives. You're saying I should be platforming a guy who's anti-science. I want to know what makes him tick. I want to know what the hell he's talking about with this initiative. I want to ask him some direct questions so you can get some direct answers. And it's what we did. Right. Calvin says, I'm more and more disturbed by, by people who, who are chiming in on the live chat, you know, criticizing you for interviewing people in particular with right leaning opinions. I don't understand how these people don't seem to understand that your MO is to talk to people on all sides of an issue and then criticize both yourself and your guests because maybe they say things that people disagree with. You know, you think by now people would learn to listen and learn, not just close their minds because somebody they disagree with is getting airtime. Calvin says it's closed mindedness like this on both ends of the spectrum that continues to drive a wedge between the left and the right. Listen, learn, process and reassess people, says Calvin. That's how growth happens. Censoring other people's views because they upset you is no way to make meaningful progress. Rather, it promotes progress for but a few that from Calvin. I loved this from Brandon. Brandon says, I want to talk about oil and gas in Alberta. More importantly, possibilities for the very hardworking Albertans who have a desire to continue to thrive here in this province, but have lost all hope over the past year. These ambitious Albertans are used to working 14 hour days for months on end in order to thrive. They don't want handouts, subsidies, bailouts, more credit or CERB checks. They just want to work. But the reality is there is no work. So for all the engineers and operators and welders and drillers and insulators and pipe fitters and truckers and derrick hands and laborers and electricians and programmers and the endless other numbers of vocations that depend on a healthy energy industry, it feels like there's little hope at this time. Many of these people are high achieving, self-employed individuals. Many have small businesses on the brink of failure. I am one of those Albertans, says Brandon. 
I wholeheartedly believe that the majority of our industry wants to achieve the safe and sustainable harvesting of fossil fuels. And I know for sure that many in our industry are working towards some form of feasible transition to other forms of energy. But that's the opposite of how our energy industry is being portrayed. Brandon says, I, like many others through this time, have spent many hours in self-reflection. We're trying to reinvent ourselves. We're trying to look for new opportunities. We're trying to figure out how to keep our businesses alive and feed our families. What I hope we can discuss is a realistic conversation about the future of Alberta energy. And more importantly, the talent that the industry has harvested in this province. How do we keep the talent here? How do we keep the strong work ethic? How do we maintain hope while so many are losing everything they've worked so hard for? Says Brandon, let's have some real talk about that. I might as well nail this to the wall. I mean, and this email, Brandon, describes what drives our editorial process. Whether that's conversation around cleaning up orphan wells or conversation around being fair to and attracting industry while transitioning, while training our skilled workforce or retraining them, whether it's talking about healthy government policy or cooperation at different levels of government, whether it's talking about the personal side of things, the mental health implications of unemployment. These are the types of emails from listeners and viewers like you that remind us why we do what we do. And I want to thank you for taking the time to check in at talk at ryanjesperson.com. Tomorrow's show is going to be a good one. I want to remind you that Friday's roundtable from 9 to 10, we will welcome in the strategists. That's right, Corey and Zane and Stephen, the, the three fellas behind one of the most popular Canadian political podcasts. They're going to be here in just a couple of days. And of course, we'll be keeping an eye on news as it develops. You won't miss a thing here on Real Talk. Make it a great Wednesday, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 8.30 Mountain Time. The gun away.